You understand the meaning of the word foreboding? As in badness is happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Oh, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need you. Because love says live for over 100 years. Now what the hell are you waiting for? For me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. Well, I don't know what we're saying. We're, we're saying we want to survive. I need to borrow the XK again. Oh, that's nice. Mm. Yeah, that'll do. Playing the big shot. Don't smash it up. We'd have a lot of explaining to do. Thank you again for coming to my aid on the road. I dreamt about you the next two nights. Being rescued is one of my wicked dreams. It's not very wicked, being rescued. It's what you did to me after. I lost a lot of money. Well, how much? The 90,000 pounds. Well, how am I going to help you? Tell me I'm just a two-bit player myself who plays a big shot in borrowed cars. I'm in real trouble, Ian. Guess you're in real trouble. Your Uncle Harry's started with nothing, and now he's a millionaire, and yet he never forgot his family. So what, what kind of money are we looking at? We both find a way to pay you back. I think you'll agree that family loyalty cuts both ways. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, Connor, before we get started, I just have a question for you. What's up? Who has better taste in music, Michael Mann or Michael Bay? Oh, man. <laughs> um, uh, does Michael Bay get credit for casting Liv Tyler, presumably just to have Aerosmith make music for his movie? Yes, except for the fact that Aerosmith is like barely a band when that happens. Yeah, you yeah. Forget. Did you know? No, they're more. I think they're more of a band than we. They're more of a '90s band than people give. No, them they're they're for. kind of in the dem- dumps. I think when that happens, not as much as like other '80s. Okay, iHeart '80s bands are. Did you know that Liv Tyler did not know that Steven Tyler was her dad until she was like 18? I did know that. It's, um, and, and, and the the implication I've always heard is that um, it's it, she only found out because she didn't want her Stephen Tyler to fuck Liv Tyler. Her mom didn't. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> her Liv Tyler's mom is Bebe Buell, who's like a pretty famous like groupie and scenester of like the 70s rock era. And she had just broken up with, you know, Todd Rundgren? The singer-songwriter? Yeah, yeah. Very good, very good singer-songwriter. Uh, she had just broken up with Todd Rundgren when she got pregnant with Liv Tyler. Um, and so she put Todd Rundgren down on the birth certificate. And even though I think Todd Rundgren, like, found out that he wasn't the bio dad very early, he still, like, de facto Liv Tyler's dad. Like, he, they co-parented that kid. So I think Liv Tyler's, yeah. like, legal birth name is Liv Rundgren. Uh, and she did not find out yet until she was like 18 that Steven Tyler's that, which is insane because they look identical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. If you, they literally I mean, look exactly the same. Do you, do you know who Bebe Buell is? Like, do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, because I remember yeah. I, I listened to this very long interview with Liv Tyler where she essentially explained the entire situation. Yeah. And I think if I, if I understand correctly too, she was almost raised as like an upper crust debutante by her grandmother. Um, so oh, the fact that the fact that when she came of age to to learn that 
that Steven Tyler was um, her dad, it was like a huge shock. It was not a world that she was a part of um, yeah. throughout her childhood. Uh, sounds like the, you know, the world's worst movie rumor has it. <laughs> you know, I've never seen rumor has it. <laughs> I saw it once a long time ago. Um, I and there's literally, there's literally good. a situation where it is more than possible it's verging on probable that Kevin Costner is Jennifer Aniston's father. Yes. <laughs> and she's also hooking up with him. And everybody is questioning whether or not he's her father or not. And nobody's really. That's part of what makes the movie bad is nobody is like, hey, are you having sex hey, with your dad? Hey, we need to figure it out. I got to call a time out here, Connor. We are yeah. going to record two separate episodes on Rumor Has It in the future of this podcast. We might three. I mean, I think there's three possibilities. All right, who are you thinking of? Because I'm like, look. I mean, we got it. We got to do Costner. Yeah, we got to do Costner. We got to do Costner. <laughs> we got to talk it out. We got to get through it at some point. Ruffalo would be so yeah. much fun, right? That's what Ruff- I'm saying. Ruffalo yeah. is just fucking uh, so fun for like the first half and then just like a descent into madness. Uh, <laughs> we would get to talk about the worst Todd Haynes movie. In fact, I'm going to say this. We got it. Whatever we do, we're going to peek behind the curtain. Whoever we do, Connor, we're doing Ruffalo before we do anyone else who's in a Todd Haynes movie. Uh, that's how we oh. got to rip the Band-Aid off. There's Wait, so many people. So in Todd do you want to do though. Aniston? That's that's what I was saying was like I the possibility for the. Th- I don't want to do it, but I'm saying I'm saying she's a viable option. The thing about yeah. Aniston is that most of those movies are very bad, and then one of them is the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> um, and so it'd just be a weird miniseries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it would be it um, would it would be my good exu- excuse to watch the good girl i've never seen the good girl um even though i famously am like miguel arteta's only shooter but um, i i think i would kill myself if i had to watch if i had to watch Rockstar and like take notes while watching Rockstar. it yeah yeah it'd be really funny because we'd skip office space and the iron giant um <laughs> is she the mom in the iron giant yeah dude she's so fucking good in the iron giant yeah is you know the what, iron you know giant what? is the iron dude. giant discounting i have too close a personal relationship to toy story and sure. toy story 2 so i'm gonna i'm gonna just chop sure. this off the list is the iron giant like the greatest animated film ever made no it's like fine it's pretty good I think it it's fucking it's windmill there. dunks on any Pixar movie, but it's like, fun. no, you know what? The Incredibles is probably better than it. No, it's not the greatest animated movie ever made. It's up there, man. No, it's not. It's up there. It's like pretty good. It's not as good as like fucking Pinocchio. It's not as good as I fucking it's my way neighbor. Way better to- than Pinocchio. It's not as good as my neighbor Totoro. It's okay, not as good yeah, as Ghost You kind of have Shell. to discount my uh, anything American. It's, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, It's not as good as Sleeping Beauty. It's I think it's not. It's Beauty. no. When was the last time you watched Sleeping Beauty? A while ago. Yeah. Look into your heart. <laughs> Sleeping Beauty is fucking insane. Um, it's. I mean, it's not as good as a lot of the Golden Age Disney stuff. First of all, it's not as good as Spider Man Into the Spider Verse, which is the best animated movie. Okay, that made. that's also true. Yeah. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put my foot down and I'm gonna count this as an animated movie. Avatar. Uh, no, but it's not. <laughs> but it's not as good as Avatar: The Way of Water. Which is an animated movie, so thank you. No, um, it's not as good as Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, mm. and here's other, oh, but so much of what's good of Who Framed Roger, Who Framed Roger Rabbit 
is not a live action movie with animated footage. It is an animated animated movie movie with with live live action action footage, footage, right? That's how they're approaching the construction of that movie. It's also the scariest movie ever made. Sure. It's also a (laughs) perfect masterpiece. It's also, did I say it was the better version of Chinatown on the Ask the Dust episode? Okay. Because that is something I do 100% believe. Um, I did. I'm, a, I'm I'm in that with you. Yeah, I did. I think it's a better rumor, version of Chinatown. I did hear a rumor once. I've never been able to find like sourcing on this, but I heard this from someone who like would know what they're talking about and would maybe have like heard this from someone who was in the room. So like, I do trust this rumor that I heard. I did hear a rumor once that Who Framed Roger Rabbit is in fact based on Robert Town's unproduced pitch for Chinatown Three. That oh. apparently because Chinatown is about LA water. And then right? the two Jakes is, is the about, second one, right? Is I've never seen yeah. the two Jakes, but my understanding is about it's about um electrical grits, right? And like the electrical system and I've never seen it either. That's yeah. my understanding. I was I, I heard from someone who again could very well know what they're talking about and just not have any written sources that town had a pitch for Chinatown three that didn't get picked up. Um, when two Jakes bombed, that was about redlining and the construction of the LA freeways district and how it screwed over black communities in Los Angeles. Man, which I is, would of course, love to see that movie. But but you have seen that yeah. movie. I have seen that that's movie. That's what Who Framed Roger Rabbit is about. Yeah. And having read the novel that that book is a movie is ostensibly based on, that movie is not based on that novel in the slightest. No, that novel is not yeah. about cartoon characters. That's how much that novel movie is not based on that novel. That's crazy. I wish I want to do more research to see if we could track down yeah. where this rumor stems from. That um, that novel is about comic strip characters. Yes, yeah, which is insane. It's a terrible yeah. novel, by the way. Don't read who censored. <laughs> Don't listeners. It's too late. I've read it. Cool. You read it. It's <laughs> yeah. so fucking bad, listeners. If you take away one thing from this entire stupid endeavor we're doing, please do not read the novel who censored Roger Rabbit. It's so bad. <laughs> Cosign. It's also like it's also like one of the most convoluted novels I've it's ever read. Borderline yeah. incomprehensible. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to spoil it for you. Uh, the killer in that novel, which is a murder mystery, uh, the premise of that novel is that Roger Rabbit has been murdered, but because he's a cartoon character, he's fine. Uh, and the only thing they have to go off the evidence of who murdered him is the speech bubble. Because, again, he's a comic strip performer in that book, is the speech bubble that he left behind that's been erased. Uh, and I believe the solution to that mystery is literally he rubbed a magic lamp and a genie came out and shot him to death. Isn't it that his <laughs> isn't it that his shadow was what got shot? Or maybe like, it's his because shadow he's a shot. stuntman. And because yeah. cartoon like cartoons can use their shadow to do maybe dangerous that's stunts what it is. or something. It's so yeah. bad. Um, you know what else is bad? Well, wait. This is a roundabout. <laughs> this is a roundabout discussion. Um, a roundabout discussion. I'm gonna on say the title I'm going. I am <laughs> going to say that the theme song to Transformers is better than the audio <laughs> slave drops in Miami Vice. But but Michael Bay is physically incapable of doing anything remotely close to the sam cook intro to ali so i'm gonna go with michael mann okay michael mann has but have you considered to bring this sucker back to where we started um (laughs) how fucking good it is at the end of armageddon when the groomsmen are just the photos of the guys who didn't make it 
and I don't want to miss a thing starts playing. Oh man. I mean, (laughs) I know you're dumb Connor and you don't like Armageddon. Um, if we had just given Diane Warren her Oscar for Armageddon <laughs> instead of whoever fucking won the Oscar that year, so much like tumult would have been avoided. Who won the Academy Award for Best Original Song that year? Hold on. Mark Tilly, if you're listening to this, cover your ears. Um, don't want to miss a thing, fucking skunks, when you believe from the Prince of Egypt. Any day and twice on Sundays. I am sorry. That song Wait, is Wait, but bad. When You Believe is the one that... Uh, one. That yeah. one? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Couldn't uh, outdo that uh, That DreamWorks. They, they funneled all their campaign money into two awards, right? Yeah. Oh, that's a good yeah. point. Uh, other nominees for Best Original Song that year. Uh, the song from Babe, Pig in the City, the other great movie of 1998. Uh, I do not know what that song is. Uh, the song from the Horse Whisperer. I've never seen the Horse Whisperer, never and the song that. from Quest for Camelot. I have never seen Quest from Camelot. I have seen Quest for Camelot, and I don't remember anything about <clears throat> these songs. There were no other live action movies that had songs this year. Babe, Pig in the City. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um. Well, let's take a look at the Golden Globes. I'm gonna keep vamping so we just don't have to talk about uh this week's movie. Because well, I'm trying to think <laughs> of other. I'm trying to think of other. Needle okay. drops in Michael Bay films. Okay, so I yeah. will say this uh, for the song from Quest for Camelot. It is yeah. apparently a Celine Dion song. Oh, so it, of course. We still have Titanic fever. Yeah. But no, because I'm calling bullshit on this, okay? <laughs> so that song wins the Golden Globe. The only other song from the Oscars to be nominated that year is When You Believe from Prince of Egypt. Let me hit you with the other Golden Globe nominees for Best Original Song. Because, no, you're fucking right. And actually, I'm sorry. I take it back. Don't Want to Miss a Thing should not have won. Really? Because your other contenders are, I'm just going to say this. I don't know these songs. I've never seen these movies. So I'm just getting out of the way. The the theme song from The Mighty, which is a Sting song, was nominated. And the theme song from something called Still Crazy was nominated. Okay. Reflection from Mulan was nominated. Oh, my God. Now, Reflection, oh my god! Reflection is a so-so song, but if Reflection Mulan's... is not a so-so song. Yeah. Reflection is a. It's one of the better. It's one no, of the better no, Disney songs because if Reflection's in play, then you know yeah. what else is in play. Um, uh, I'll make a man out of I'll you. I'll make a man out of you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the Golden Globes also seem to recognize that in 1998, uh, the Brad Silverling film City of Angels came out. Uh, the remake of Wings of Desire starring Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan. Uh, I've never seen City of Angels. Connor, have you ever seen City of Angels? I have seen it. My my yeah. mom is a, a that era Nicolas Cage fan. Yeah, it's yeah. probably she's, good. she's down for all of those movies. Uh, it's you uh, know it's, what? I, if you've seen Wings of Desire, then and then you watch City of Angels, it's like what what are we doing right now? Well, Wings of Desire yeah. is a perfect it is masterpiece. Yeah. One of mm-hmm. the best movies ever made. Um. Uninvited by Alanis Morissette is the song from City of Angels. The best Alanis an Morissette origi- song. That's is an, an original, original song? song. I knew that. I've forgotten that, but I knew that. That is the. I did the, not know that. That is like the lead original single for the soundtrack to City of Angels. That that, Give, that just blew my mind. That song fucking rules. <laughs> that song's fucking insane. Give Alanis Morissette an Oscar. Instead of Stephen Schwartz, damn, is the thesis of the first twenty minutes 
of this week's episode of Above the Title. Hey, gang, welcome to Above the Title, a podcast about the career of Colin Farrell and the state of the 21st century movie star. I'm Cole. I'm Connor. And this week, how we we're feeling? talking how about, we feeling about this one, Connor. <laughs> we got we got a, a doozy. This is our is this our lot? Is this like are do we only have these two alleged sexual predators that we have talked about on the show? Or is there another Most one like coming the down the pike? Other alleged sexual predator. Literally I, the first episode we did. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, I, I was thinking director. Yes, of course. Um, here's the thing. That is not why I don't want to talk about this movie. But uh, it's the only way you can begin the conversation, I think. I is to be like, well, this is no, out there. I, yeah, but everyone... If anything, I think it is almost... How do I put this right? I feel like because of accusations that have gotten made against Woody Allen who is the filmmaker we were talking about in question this week, uh, people have this sort of knee-jerk reaction to be like, well, whatever, his stuff doesn't matter anyway. And like his stock has plummeted, right? Not just like not just like the fact yeah. that he can't get movies released anymore, but it feels like his place in the canon of like late 20th century, 20th century American filmmaking is like gone. That's and I amazing. think- I think it is disingenuous to pretend that this guy is not one of the great American filmmakers. And I'm not saying great as a term of quality. I am saying great as a term of like import because he is, he matters. He shapes like decades worth of film comedy on screen. He charted a path that like every comedic actor to this day still follows. He brought like major your trends in European art house cinema um, to, you know, mainstream American film. Like he basically is why people have like a household understanding of Bergman in this country. Um, he has directed wow. more. I've never heard it put like that, but um, you're right. That like, that sort of like neurosis of the soul. That's so much of like the mid period Woody Allen is just him doing Bergman, but those well, I've never in the States. I have never seen any of those films. Okay, they're crazy. Is the thing. I'm not the world's biggest Woody guy. Um, he is the reason I like movies, uh, and that's true. Uh, a scene in a Woody Allen movie is the reason I like movies. Oh, really? Um, yeah. He's but that's what I say. Which He's one? Direct- what scene? Have you seen What's Up, Tiger Lily? I can tell you what I've seen. I've seen. Yes, I'm right. I forgot who I'm talking to. <laughs> I've seen uh, uh, Blue Jasmine, stinker, which we talked about. A stinker. Uh, Sorry. Midnight in Paris, a movie I like a lot. And then Sorry. this, and then this movie. That's insane. You should watch Annie Hall. <laughs> I'm just, just gonna say it right now. You should maybe watch Annie Hall in Manhattan. <laughs> um, I probably should. I just I've never been. I've I, I've never had a reason to. Really? That's a, you. You that's didn't a, watch. You oh, didn't watch Match Point. You, Mister Homework, oh. did not. Wow. So we're gonna have a real fun conversation this week. We um, we're doing this the three days after the other I episode. <laughs> what's up, Tiger Lily? I'm going to spoil what's up, Tiger Lily, for everyone. Um, have you ever seen Kung Pao Enter the Fist? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. What's up, Tiger Lily? Is <laughs> no. I'm. What's up, Tiger Lily? Is Kung Pao enter the fest? Really? Um, it's his. It's listed as his direct Woody Allen's directorial debut. But what it is is that some distributor had bought a um, like just some Japanese or Chinese like spy thriller, um, and they gave it to Woody Allen, and Woody Allen wrote a gag dub of it. And oh, then, really? Like, uh, like an, an American cast like did a new dub of the movie with a completely new plot that was like a comedic farce, right? Not a very good movie. Uh, you might be shocked to hear this. Little racist. Little, little <laughs> racist. Um, more, the, more so than Breakfast at Tiffany's. I guess it would have to be. Well, it's a different, yeah, beast. And uh, to my memory, and don't quote me on this because I've seen. I saw this movie once over a decade ago. I don't think anyone's doing like an exaggerated accent in that movie okay, they well, they might be they might fair. be so apologies if i have that wrong because this movie this movie does not exist in my brain one scene in this movie exists in my brain which during like the ending fight scene mm -hmm. the like image pauses and all of a sudden you get this like brief sojourn where these two hands come up and start doing shadow puppetry in front of the screen like literally like kind of like this playful acknowledgement that what you're watching is a movie that's been like reworked right yeah and then as the the hands i might even be in the details you're wrong but as the hands do shadow puppetry like they, they, they get closer to each other and then eventually they embrace and then whoever the two people doing it are come in and kiss and then it just goes right back to the movie. And when I saw that at like 18 or 19, that was like a profound, like, oh, you can fucking do anything. Like the 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 the, the, the potentials of the medium are limitless. Uh bit. And so I do always have that affection for that not very good movie that has a good scene <laughs> at the end. I like um, that though. Yeah. But anyway, my point is. My disinterest in talking with this movie has nothing to do with Woody Allen. The person is everything to do with this movie. <laughs> right? Is, Which is... We're, this boring. week we were talking about burr, burr, Cassandra's burr. dream. <laughs> this the... week we were talking about... Shut up. <laughs> this week we were talking about <laughs> the 2007 Woody Allen film Cassandra's Dream <laughs> starring <laughs> Colin Farrell and Ewan McGregor as brothers, as English brothers, uh, interestingly enough. Well, Who else is in this movie? Haley Atwell, Sally Hawkins, Tom Wilkinson. Those are the above the title. Yeah. The above the title casties, which means that uh, Haley Atwell is technically top billed in this movie. Yes, she is. She is. Uh, Woody, Allen, Woody Allen movies are always billed in alphabetical order. So oh, if you... So Atwell. Yeah, so if you watch the there opening credits of this movie, and again... This, I just saw that it's like, yeah, this is a thing Woody Allen always does. Opening credits of this movie, it says Cassandra's Dream, and then it says starring Haley Atwell, Colin Farrell, Sally Hawkins, Ewan McGregor, Tom Wilkinson. They all share a card, right? Yes, yes. That's, yes. How, that's how the opening credits to Woody Allen movies always are. They always have the same font. They always have the same structure. They're just text on black. Everyone shares a card, and it's alphabetical. All of his movies are like that. And I know this because I've seen that. more than three Woody Allen movies. I've seen <laughs> how many of the Woodman's movies have I seen? Hold on one second. 
I've just maybe it's a symptom of like I started undergraduate around the time that the backlash against him was beginning. Yes. And professors never assigned, even though I took a class that was literally titled American cinema or Hollywood cinema in the 70s. Yes. We we never once looked at a Woody Allen film, although that would seem like fertile ground to look at something like Annie Hall. And uh Never looked at anything that he made when we were at NYU. Never seen the Purple Rose of Cairo. No, you just like promise me that you'll watch the Purple Rose of Cairo because that's <laughs> yeah, like I'll, I'll promise you that. That's yeah. a that's a really fucking like incredible movie. Like, I, well, I think it's a symptom of what you're talking about. Like, I think it's a symptom of it's a symptom of what you were talking about, where his stature within. Uh, cinema's history has been so diminished over the last decade that even even films that i can't speak to but have reputations as being great films being important films and being meaningful films are no longer taught in an academic setting to avoid the inevitable convoluted discussions about woody allen's morality as as a human being Um, it's just easier to same thing you know roman polanski yeah chinatown which is is one of the more important films of the 70s doesn't necessarily get taught at all I anymore think for, it's, for a similar still, reason i think i think polanski is different because chinatown is such an obvious text right yeah like it, it, it can yeah. be used to discuss so much that um that that it's always going to have like a place, even if no one's talking about like Rosemary's Baby or Tess anymore. The the thing I think about- there is a, I also I just say that um, there's a difference between Woody Allen as writer director and Chinatown that you can talk more yes. of as a Robert Town piece yes. and not necessarily. Well, but as the a other thing, the piece. other thing I was going to say is Woody Allen is as a filmmaker so like slippery in a way mm-hmm. like yeah so much of his movies are meant like make sense within the context of the other movies and a lot of them are like weird experiments that he tries out uh which is partially why he's so prolific that like even the big ones aren't like Annie Hall yeah. is not totemic in the way um Chinatown is Annie Hall is kind of totemic commercially and interesting in how it plays with other Woody Allen movies and in how it plays with its own production like on a formal mm-hmm. level Chinatown is a piece of film crit you know as yeah. film I think that's also the distinction and I guess for me to relate it to relate what I've seen of Woody Allen aesthetically and structurally, I think of his films more in the sense of, again, I'm just talking about his films. I'm not talking about his career. I think of his films more akin to the world that I think Mike Lee makes films in where he has his regular band of actors that he works with. And they all kind of work in discourse with each other, each subsequent film is kind of in that conversation with the ones that preceded it. And I think the more Mike Lee films you watch, the more you can glean from the other films in his filmography. Yes. You start to look at the entire thing holistically. I also, I actually think another good, I think it's a very good analogy. I think another good analogy for 
Woody Allen, but in a weird way. So bear with me here, listeners, is um, Hong Sang Soo. Uh, oh, okay. Because yeah. they're both so prolific and they both seem to be in so many ways like first draft filmmakers. I can see um, what you mean. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and again, in that way that like, you kind of gain more of a sense of appreciation for the movies, the more of the movies you watch. The difference is Hong Sang-soo, who's a better filmmaker than Woody Allen, to be clear, like what's good about his movies is revealed as you watch so many of them and you realize how similar they all are. And like the, the, what what then makes them distinct starts to stand out more from the the mold. Woody's interesting because of how different his movies always are, and then you start to draw like the similar threads between these like big swings he's taking. Like this is this is the third in a trilogy, which is why I was like I'm 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 kind of like shocked you didn't do any research. <laughs> like for. <I> <laughs> For context, though, Connor, the reviews mention it that um... yeah, this is de facto the third in a trilogy of movies he made over the course of three years. And I, I'm calling them a trilogy because of the three movies he made in London and they're three movies that are all about murders. Right. Mm-hmm. But all three of those movies, Matchpoint, Scoop and Cassandra's Dream, are wildly different in tone, in narrative structure in like POV in what they're trying to get across. Like from what I understand from the reviews that I read, those two other films are situated more within upper middle class milieu. Yes. um, While this one is so much about the aspirations, but this one is about endless aspirations. But that's what I was going to say is no, but match point is about a poor guy, basically like, Ridleying himself into this upper middle class milieu. Oh. So match that's what I'm saying. But match who's point the is lead of match point? Jonathan Reese Myers. Interesting. Yes. Someone who's what... had like a strange uh parallel experience to Colin. Yes, it is also one of coming his... out of Ireland. Yes, earlier okay. big movies after uh what's that thing called? Um Velvet Goldmine. Thank you. Um oh you mean Alexander? No, I meant Velvet Goldmine. Um, I did, in fact, he's Velvet also Goldmine, and I forgot. And we yeah, never, I don't think we even mentioned that he was in Alexander. Uh, he's also in Bandit Like Beckham, which is a perfect movie that we're going to do in this podcast <laughs> one day. Um, we're just This, this episode is going to be me saying movies we're going to talk about someday. But that's what I'm saying is that Matchpoint and this are both aspirational, like poor people doing crime, doing murders to try to become rich movies but match points more of this like slinky kind of like sly satirical thriller whereas this one's this very like i mean it even calls out the greek tragedies right it's got this like portent of doom and predestination around it whereas then like match point and scoop are both movies where scarjo is like on the ancillary state of a murder but in match point she's this like very hitchcockian blonde like like almost like Liz Taylor in a place in the sun. If anything, actually match point is more like a place in the sun. Um, And then in, in scoop scoop is much more of what we think of as like a traditional Woody Allen movie where she's like, kind of like quirky and talks fast and, and is like trying to, to, to get her life in order and all that stuff. 
Um, but that's what I'm saying is like these movies do exist in a weird conversation with each other, which has almost always been Woody Allen's downfall because people only ever care about like every fourth movie. Uh, and then the ones that come in between are like, eh. But also the ones that come in between are like, eh, right? Like there's a reason people only care about every fourth Woody Allen movie. The dude's hit to Mitch ratio has never been good. <laughs> when you're that- His like, KDR. I call him a first He has draft. such a weak KDR. Yeah, I don't know what that means, but- um, Call of Duty speak. Oh, I thought it was a sports thing. No, um, kill to death ratio, cool. Come oh, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know what a kill to death yeah. ratio is. I call him a first draft filmmaker, and that is a little rude, but it really does feel like he has an idea, he writes the screenplay, and then by everything anyone has ever said about those productions, he's a fucking one-take wonder. He just wants to get the actors saying the lines. He doesn't direct anyone at all. Like, he has the idea, he shoots the idea, he puts it out, he goes back again, and like, a lot of times that means the movies are not there all the way like eastwood's the same way but eastwood's not writing the movies himself right Eastwood's Would you project possibly that that's maybe why he makes so many films uh concerning the same subject matter because maybe yes. he like oh, absolutely he attempts to do it once and he's like ah, i didn't really like that maybe i oh, can no, do it in this other direction he yeah. said that even like so most famously I know you've never seen it. Have you ever heard of Manhattan Murder Mystery, which is yeah. from 93? Do you know the deal? I've with heard Man- I've I've I, I've I am knowledgeable of quite a lot of his films. Yeah. I but just, are you aware of what the deal with Manhattan Murder Mystery is? Um, I would prefer if you recapped it. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Annie Hall. The movie Annie Hall was originally conceived of as a like Christie-esque murder farce. Um, and when they were like going into pre-pro, I don't even, I think even before they shot it, like he realized that none of that was working and he threw out everything and just made it be just about the central love story. And that's why if you watch Annie Hall, that movie is so fragmented and repetitive and this like strange memory play of a thing. It's because they're shooting an incomplete screenplay. Like they, they've literally like, tossed out the plot of that movie and are like figuring out how to structure the stuff they're keeping Manhattan murder mystery 16 years later is him basically just shooting the script that was supposed to be Annie Hall. Like, I don't think he's literally gone back to that script, but he just went back to that original idea and made the movie that he was originally thinking Annie Hall was going to (laughs) be. He does do that. He iterates ideas over the course of his career. Uh, shame this one is not an interesting one. <laughs> well, that's what uh, I was going to say when you were talking about how it so clearly replicates the Greek tragedies that it itself even acknowledges throughout. Because yeah. once you understand where the film is going, I think even by its third or fourth scene, you, I, I think it's like, you're not surprised at any turn that the film takes the, the rest of its runtime. The only surprise is that it waits almost its entire runtime to make the explicit allusion to the Greek tragedies. That's like this sort of Damocles <laughs> that's hanging over the yeah. movie from the second scene. Uh, Cause this movie is called Cassandra's dream. And uh, that is in fact a reference to uh, the Iliad. 
a big honking obvious reference to the Iliad that just yes. this movie's dumb Connor this movie's dumb why are we doing this podcast again you were right when you said we should just talk about the big ones <laughs> I don't know where to go from here should I recast we just, the movie like four well, things let me, let me, let me give let me give yeah. some context on this movie because I can't believe I'm saying this there is in fact something very important we forgot to say in the Miami Vice episode last week okay like really important and and in fact i think we just forgot to say it because we both know this like it's just obvious to us we didn't feel the need to bring it up but it is important context miami vice bombed oh yeah we didn't actually acknowledge that miami vice opened at number one but it was a weak weekend and it sank like a stone and the that's funny that we never mentioned the critics hated miami vice Especially, I think, at the beginning of this podcast, I was, like, kind of talking about this early run. Of, I I kind of divided in my head Colin's career into, like, three eras. Uh, shout out to Jeff and Stewart of Travolting because this is your bit, but then that's kind of why I got this framing. But I've kind of divided in my head three different eras of his entire career. And we've been in the blockbuster era. And for my money... The blockbuster era and the bad boy tabloid era are go hand in hand because Miami Vice bombing puts an end to both those movements because he's going to say it begins with the recruit and ends with. Well, I'm saying really begins with Miami Tiger Vice. Begins, begins. Yeah. Not oh, literally. You mean but just the bit, the beginning phase of his, career. the beginning yeah. phase of his career, which is also the blockbuster phase of his career. Yeah, because it, as we've said, he skyrockets to stardom. He doesn't really necessarily gradually work his way up he, becoming that kind of a leading man. He goes to rehab after Miami Vice, and the bad boy tabloid era is over. But mm-hmm. Miami Vice is also the last time he is just the lead in a big budget movie, right? Like, there yeah. is there is a similar logic in casting to casting him in the new world and to casting him in SWAT. And those kind of castings are done after Miami Vice. It it bombing was like the last straw. Uh, because Fox was so hot still that like I really have to think if there's a sense of this guy's box office poison, putting him in such an obvious hit that didn't work is gonna fall on him. <laughs> um yeah, I mean also Fox is <laughs> Fox looks very standard in miami vice and colin looks so crazy in miami vice and i like the actual look that he's putting on is such a step outside of what you would expect when you hear that they are rebooting um miami vice in the year 2006 but you know let me just pull up these numbers for a second we and we've we've talked about this and like even acknowledged that like colin farrell had been slowing down in the past couple years that we've been covering right that like he he works so much those first few years and then he like tapers off. But Miami Vice is the 16th movie we've covered. I'm not counting the TV shows, but the 16th movie we've covered in a six year window, right? So that's about an average of two and a half, two and a third movies a year, right? You called Cassandra's Dream a 2007 movie, and that is true. But did you look at the release dates for this movie? Uh, you don't need not. to pull them up. I have them in my head. I can just tell you. Yeah. Miami Vice comes out in July of 2006, I want to say. This movie has a surprise screening in Spain, of all places, 
in June of 2007, so almost a year later. Its official proper premiere is at TIFF 2007, so over a year after Miami Vice. This movie does not come out in the United States until January 2008. That is a year and a half. That is a year and a half where Colin Farrell is not in movies. And so when I say his career is kind of dead as like a bankable leading man, it's so a year. Does this release after In Bruges? No. Uh, why? No. I believe In Bruges is the next week. You said. Am I when wrong? Did you say it comes out in the United States? January 18th, I think. Am I remember? Okay, yeah. It's yeah. In Bruges so, comes out on February 8th. Yes. Because can I tell you the only thing I ever. you never seen this movie. <laughs> no. I've never seen this movie. Can I tell you the sum total of my history of this movie? Yeah, go for it. Obviously, it's 2007, 2008. I'm 15. I know who Woody Allen is, right? I know he's a big deal filmmaker. Matchpoint was this like big, critical, beloved sensation just a few years earlier. And I am aware, even if there's like minimal buzz on it, that he's got this movie with Colin and Ewan, which is kind of a big deal that those two guys are in a movie together, right? I guess so. Um, well, we'll get into compared? it. Like, because he's not compared to Ewan McGregor in a lot of this stuff I've pulled up from this yeah, period but, of his But life. those two yeah. guys, th- their careers kind of exist on similar tracks. Okay, but, so. but this, this yeah. is my point. I don't really clock this in 2008, but Connor... If Ewan McGregor and Colin Farrell were to movie together in 2005, well, that would have yeah. been a huge deal, right? They're yeah. both just a little past it. This is my sum total of my history of this movie. And I remember this to this day. When I first saw the trailer for In Bruges, I thought it was this. Oh, really? Because I just knew there was a Colin Farrell crime movie. And I very yeah. immediately caught in that it wasn't. But that is the thing about this movie is that this movie does not exist because this is not Colin's big triumphant return to being a serious actor. Well, I think because in is right around the fucking corner (laughs) coming off of the back of Miami coming off the back of uh, uh, the new world leading into my, well, Alexander leading into the new world, leading into Miami vice, this movie to him method wise or process wise seems like a practice run um, for in Bruges. But there's there's a world where if this movie is better, this movie is the one that gets talked about as the comeback. Because it's a year and a half later, it's a big, serious, meaty, dramatic role. And that, like, could theoretically act as a reset. But it, but that's what I'm saying. It wouldn't even matter if this movie was better and like worthy of that labeling because in Bruges is always right around the corner and it's always going to fucking like be the guy who sucks up all the oxygen in the room because that's yeah. just such a fucking I just want to fucking talk about in Bruges. Like I just it's, just it's there and I just want to talk about it. We're so fucking close. If you take out um, Ask the Dust uh from great that run of three films, a great um, performance and a good movie. No, but I'm saying if you yeah, I know, I know, from I the know. Alexander, yeah. the New World, yeah. Miami Vice run, he's in like th- three of the largest budget failures back to back. Oh yes, that all have multiple cuts and yes. <laughs> like extended release, extended convoluted, confusing release periods. And I, I and 
to be frank about it, I think, well, not so much for the new world, but for Alexander, definitely. And for Miami Vice, to a strong extent, he gives, in my opinion, good, but off kilter performances against what you would expect from. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas in Bruges is just so off kilter from the jump that like. Yeah. We, we, well, I think oh, yeah. in Bruges is really in Bruges is really we can't, the we can't we can't talk about it. We can't talk about it. True. We gotta save it. That is true. Let's not Here's... get into it. But what I wanted to say about Miami Vice yeah. was Miami, it's 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 the thing about <laughs> it's the tragedy of this part of Colin Farrell's career where it didn't happen for Alexander, but the new world is reevaluated only a short time later. And you have people by the early 2010s calling yes. it Malik's masterpiece and yes. his best film, regardless if you or I agree with that, that there are people out there legitimately saying that. Le- yeah. And you're, in you criticism. said you're one of them. <laughs> yeah. But I know you're I not. Know. Oh, yeah. I, I have, I have, but I have no qualms yeah. with that argument. I get it. Like I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'd rather and people say that than fucking the tree of life. Okay. Obviously, as as you've as as you have said about Miami Vice, only a short time later after Miami Vice as well, you have people coming out of the woodwork being like, "This is the greatest action movie of the last twenty years." I, I think it yeah. takes ten years. I think it is around when Black Hat comes out. Well, I remember watching. Yeah. If we're, if we could just jump back into Michael Mann for a second, I just it's, want to talk about Miami Vice. Funny how this happens repeatedly throughout Michael Mann's career where I remember getting interested in film around the time that Cassandra's dream is coming out when I'm in middle school and by high school, maybe not even high school, maybe by eighth grade, I am seeking out heat because I hear that there's this movie out there that exists that has Pacino and De Niro in it. Well, but why are you seeking out heat specifically? Me personally, like in the time, like I'm a huge Goodfellas and the Godfather fan. Like I'm looking for and who else thing that they're in together. What other what other movie that comes I out don't know. around the time we're talking about that is very clearly referred to even by the director oh, as a remake oh, of the Heat. Dark Knight. Dark, the Dark Knight. Knight. Yeah, but no, no, but I don't know. Like in my memory of that time period, people are not talking about Heat, like the masterpiece that people are talking about it today. I don't remember that happening until around 2015, 2016. People actually oh, referring to Heat as one of those great totemic I American think films I, um, and part of the canon. Yeah, obviously this yeah. is anecdotal, but I think by the time The Dark Knight comes out, like that kind of like enshrines the Heat. Heat you in think there. so? Because you don't forget what else comes out in 2008 is Righteous Kill. And Righteous Kill, <laughs> but but Righteous yeah. Kill is a movie that is like, remember how much you liked Heat, the movie. Um, so I really do think 08, by 08, it's in there. Collateral helps. Well, Cole, let me, let me put it, let me yeah. describe it a different way. Goodfellas and the Godfather films are so ubiquitous that you yes. watch them just because you're supposed to watch them. Yes. And what I'm saying is I saw out Heat because I heard that there was a yes. film in which they were in together, yes. which is not the way that people talk about Heat today. This people talk about Heat as like, this is this canonic American text about cops and robbers. It's like our contemporary it's the closest thing we've gotten to the contemporary western whatever people want to throw out there these these are takes that these are a remake of the circle rouge okay (laughs) these are (laughs) these are takes that people have had 
And but that is not the way that it is being talked about in 2009, you, 2010, okay. 2011. If you don't tamper it down a little bit, I am going to retroactively veto your placement of heat on the Man Rushmore. Okay, <laughs> I mean, you have to. You can't tamper me down. You have to tamper down like the the hundreds of, of movie personalities. Everyone knows heat is good. Okay, we get well, it. Well, um, my my question is: Is Miami? You know, heat comes out a full ten years before Miami Vice. Yes, and. I think it really hits its peak leading into Michael Mann wanting to write the book only a few, like within five years ago is when he truly hits like the simmer. Yeah. I think, I think you're, before. I think you're under, I think it's there think by so? 08. I think it's there by 08. I don't, it's definitely not there in 08 to the magnitude that it is. In well, no, not the magnitude it is now, yeah. but it's, it's, it's there. It's there by like, it's there by the time public enemies comes out. It's definitely there by the time black hat comes out. Like I mean, public enemies, gets kind of panned because people are like, why, are, why isn't this as good as Heat? You know, people aren't saying yes, like, why yeah. isn't this as good as The Insider? They're saying, why isn't this as good as Heat? But let me let me get to the point that I've been throwing all sure. this Michael Mann talk sure. you to try to make is that today where we are in 2023, a part of the reason why we were so worried about talking about Miami Vice on this podcast is because it is to anybody with a surface level knowledge of Colin Farrell and his career, Miami vice is a canonic yes. uh, performance that people call to as like, if you want to understand what Colin, what the Colin Farrell thing was about, that is one of the films that you should watch. Yes. Yeah. It's, it is also the film that like killed that era of his career. Yes. Which is the, so interesting that era that well, it exists is- and that it exists in in both spaces I mean, simultaneously. Can we not say now that we are through it? Yeah. And this has been something that I was kind of floating from almost the jump. Is it not now evident that the idea of Colin Farrell, that the A-lister, was always a bit of a house of cards? That like there really never wasn't much there there. Um, I still that I still don't know how I feel about that. Um, that he's not ever really working as a box office draw to the degree yeah. that someone that handsome should be. That he's well, kind of that. bored yeah. in a lot of those movies. That the interesting performances are the ones where he's like not giving you what you would want out of like a Tom Cruise type or a Denzel Washington type or a Tom Hanks type or a Julia Roberts type, right? That he like that he got slotted into a role that he never really could fit. And so I'm like, it's not Alexander's fault. It's not the lost world's fault. It's not Miami vice's fault. It was never gonna happen because that's just not the actor he is. See, I'm hesitant to say that it was never going to happen, but I I think I've always agreed with you in the sense that the trajectory that his career played out in, it was never going to happen. And part of that is, and what he has spoken to very openly throughout the years, like mainly throughout the last decade in in interviews that he has had, is the cost of getting so so hot so fast and so big so fast. Yes. Kind of the the tragedy of of not being able to grow into himself as an actor before becoming a movie star and kind of all that had sapped from him in those years. Yeah. 
So I'm hesitant to say that it never would have happened. I'm just, here's, I agree with you that on the trajectory that his career actually took, it was never going to happen. And the films that he was in and the directors that he worked with for the most part, it was never going to happen. Here's what I'm, what I'm thinking. Okay. Yeah. You're not going to like what I'm about to say, but just, <laughs> just stick with me. Okay. Okay. At one point, one of us floated just as a hypothetical. Wouldn't it have been interesting if Colin had played Jason Bourne? Because we were just thinking about yeah, other yeah. stuff that was in the mix for that age bracket. I think Colin Farrell's a better actor than Damon. And I like Damon a lot, right? I don't think I like Damon as much as you do, but I do like Damon a lot. <laughs> I think if Colin does Born Identity and Damon does The Recruit, The Recruit is the one that's like a generational defining hit. Oh, no, absolutely And and Because this is what I'm saying. It's a bad movie. (laughs) We we can say, but that's what I'm saying. A lot of bad movies are hits. We can say. But The Born Identity is not a bad movie. The the Born Identity Identity is a bad movie. It's not a bad movie. The Born Supremacy (laughs) is a great movie. And The Born Ultimatum is a great movie. The Born Identity is also a good movie. No, no, no. Identity stinks. All identity has going for it is that Matt Damon is a fucking movie star and just like is radiating pure charisma through that whole thing. And this is what I'm saying. Oh, man, you, you were so right that I was not going to like what I you know, were about to say. But you, you always like to say when I'm a little hard on Colin, the movie star, that yeah. he's taking bad projects, which is true. He's taking misses. But I think it's a chicken or the egg situation. I think he could be getting better projects, but those projects, if he had gotten the better projects, they wouldn't have been as big. Well, and nobody I think, talks about the Rainmaker, though, which is a no, David film. No, because that's well, they do. But that's because he has a bigger movie that same year. Right. Yeah. Like, but nobody, nobody. You, I think it would be thought of the same way as that is. Sure. And maybe like yeah. you think about something like the Brothers Grimm. I don't know. Uh and there what are I, a lot of people out there do, that like do genuinely I wish, like the recruit better than we. Sure, I was pulling yeah. Damon out of the hat, but I think I think if you put Damon in the recruit, it's a bigger hit and it's a better movie. Well, and that's now the hit part is now now we have to go back to the other thing, which is should Colin Farrell maybe have played the Damon role in The Departed? Um, we both kind of looked at each other and like nodded there. <laughs> I don't. Uh, yes. I didn't know you were going to yes. say the Damon role. I think yes. if he was the, I think he would have worked really well as the Wahlberg role. I oh, that's don't. just so obvious though. But I'm, I'm saying it is. Like, but the, you forget that so much of the Damon role is that he's like a closeted, closeted homosexual. homosexual, and I just <laughs> yes. don't know. If, I, I don't know if Colin at that point in time is like capable of doing that. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How dare you suggest that I forget that that's like a key <laughs> thing going on in The Departed. I forgot how much you you I forgot how I forgot how much you love the departed and and I forgot how much I love the departed and yeah, how much know, we know that film. You um, know the departed is to like its essence. Yeah. Undeniable point blank top 5 Scorsese for me, right? Yeah. Like that's not um, even a conversation. No, I do I do now. I, I actually yeah. think he would have worked well as the the DiCaprio part probably. Uh that's just you don't think so? I I mean, it's never going to happen. Well, here's, here's why I, do, I, I don't even yeah. want to think about it. Here's why I don't even want to think about it. Because it's the best performance Leo's ever given in his career. That's also uh, true. Yeah. And I just like, I no, we're not taking Leo out you of the You can't erase it. You no, can't erase his he's best movie. fucking yeah. good. Um, okay. 
what if Colin plays the James Badge Dale role in The Departed? Oh, I mean, fire. What if Colin plays the Kevin Corrigan role in The Departed? That one, uh, that one I'm more worrisome about because I think part of Kevin Corrigan in it is that Leo is at that point in the movie, Leo is trying to play down yes. to seeming like a piece of shit. And Kevin Gorgon is plays such a piece of shit that you can tell that like the that's what shows in the thrilling aspect of like are they gonna just see right through this and understand that he's a cop because you're seeing the genuine piece of shit kevin corrigan against the undercover piece of shit in leonardo dicaprio i don't i think this is this is part of it that that little bit of colin that is inherently a movie star i think makes makes it too distracting or i don't know i don't think he's he's a weirdo not a i don't know okay yeah no, what if we put Colin in a bunch of old age makeup and have him play the Nicholson role? <laughs> I think he would have been pretty better, great. And the, is the movie better if he's if he's an old age? Can I can I can I throw out a, a a bit of a fastball about The Departed? That again, a movie uh, Nicholson bad maybe. I've heard this take before. He's real. I've big thought about in it a, a movie lot. that's not big. He's real big. I wouldn't say he's good. I know that people have made the argument that like if he was good in the movie, that's a that's a knock out of the park uh, um, supporting actor win. And it's yes. crazy that he didn't yes. even get like the fact that he didn't even well, get nominated means that it's a failure of a performance. Yes. Part. I don't know if it's yeah. a win because I don't think anyone's ever going to win a fourth ever anymore. I think that's, that's I, mean, that's, also, I, I yeah. think. The fourth Oscar is off the table. But he's at least but getting ever. nominated. He's getting nominated, yeah. yes. I think if you But that said, try- Cole, yeah. that said, I think about him in that movie all the time. Sure. Like, once a day, I think about him in that movie. Contrast what he's doing in that movie with what Baldwin and Wahlberg are doing, because those are the other guys who are giving big yeah. performances. And for all three of those characters, those are people who are, like, textually performing in those movies you get what i'm saying like all three of those guys are playing like larger than life characters as like a way to do their jobs compare nicholson's kind of hamminess to like how fucking locked in and funny Wahlberg and baldwin are yeah Uh, yeah can you tell we don't want to talk about cassandra's dream let me just say one more thing on the damon point Uh, aside from the closeted homosexuality that's alluded to in that film i think part of damon looking so waspy really okay. helps the sure. aspirational aspect of the character and as we've said colin looks ethnically european in a way that doesn't really relate to that do yeah. you put it on your damon rush for the departed yeah oh probably um because he's I really like fucking good i haven't it, thought I about it. i haven't thought about it a lot but i feel like it would have to be there will hunting for <sighs> Probably the guy from The Departed. No, I, hear, can I, can I, I, I don't think I do. I'm, I'm just thinking about it. And like, as good as he is in that movie, I don't think I do because, I mean, I can think <laughs> of four performances I like better than that. And I'd only get two if we did it. That's, oh, like if we did it right now? Yeah. If we did it right now, yeah, I guess he wouldn't make it because I'm definitely picking 
two ahead of that. Exactly. And I feel like and your am... two, we might share on one of them, but I feel like you're you're definitely picking a different one than my second. Can you tell we don't want to talk about Cassandra's dream? <laughs> I'm wondering how far that last segment is going to make it in before. <laughs> Probably I'm going to dump over. all of it because we'll just fucking do it on the podcast one day. Um, I, that's yeah. I mean, we, I, we, we better, we better, we better. do it's, it on the podcast. One yeah. Day. Um, this movie, Cassandra's, Sandra's dream, Cassandra's dream. Jesus. Technically, um, technically Cassandra's dream. Cassandra's dream. Because technically Cassandra. it's a name in the text and they all say Cassandra. It's like Margaret or the Lost City of Zed, right? You kind of have to go with the off pronunciation. Sure. I, I don't disagree yeah, with that. Yeah. Um, Colin and Ewan play two brothers, Terry and Ian. Uh, they are uh, blue collar sons of a restaurant owner, but the restaurant's really struggling. Uh, Ian manages the restaurant for his dad, who is sick. I, I don't. Why do they keep saying that? Like, I don't know. He has to be there for the dad. I don't know. Like, they keep implying that Ian has to help the dad get back on his feet before he can go and do his own thing. Uh, so Terry, I don't really... I think you might have it backwards, actually. Hold on. No, no. Terry is Colin. Okay. And Colin Sorry. is a, a, a mechanic. Yes. Um, and they are constantly up to aspirational schemes. Colin's or sorry terry is always at the dog races gambling he's always at high stakes poker tables gambling he's taking money from loan sharks um trying to get enough money to put a down payment on a aspirational middle class house that he and his wife played by sally hawkins can move into while ian on the other hand is borrowing cars that terry is working on at the garage he works in high-end jaguars and uh bentley's of the like to take uh women who are out of his league out on dates um they both run into well terry runs into major financial troubles with loan sharks where he ends up losing ninety thousand dollars well he loses a hundred and twenty thousand dollars 30 of which were winning so he's down by 90 <laughs> at the table moving on and uh ian wants about a hundred thousand dollars to invest in hotels in california um they have a rich uncle who's played by Tom Wilkinson, who seemingly his ambiguous business empire is built all on lies and and a whistleblower is going to take him down in court. So he tells both of the brothers that he'll give them all the money they want if they murder the the man who is going to testify against them. Um, There's probably 40 minutes of them kind of bumbling around trying to figure out if they want to murder the guy, how they'll do it. Obviously they murder the guy. Obviously one of the brothers, this one, Colin can't deal with the weight of what they have done. Obviously it ends in a case where they both die and they yeah. get their comeuppance. But, but I guess. to, to, to make, make the, the point, yeah. Ewan decides to murder Colin because he's fe- fears the Colin's going to go to the police and confess. And so, <laughs> He takes Colin out on the sailboat they both share, the titular Cassandra's dream. But he can't go through with it. And then they get into a fight. And then in the fight, Colin accidentally kills Ewan. It's all very ironic. And then commits suicide. Yeah. It's all very ironic and neat. The 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 Wilkinson thing is interesting, and I can't tell if it's bad or good writing on Alan's behalf. Because, like you said, it's all very ambiguous. He is 
by all anyone says, he is a very successful plastic surgeon. That's what I but, can't understand. But this is at my all. thing. But <laughs> when when there any when when anyone actually directly talks about his business, even before you get into this um like this idea that like someone's going to like turn wit- state's witness against him like everything he talks about vis-a-vis the business is like international deals between America and the UK and America yeah. and Beijing and like he's like got some like high level proposition with some high level chinese businessman that he can't let go through and you're like how like is highly this... confidential international yeah. bureaucratic exactly and you're relations like, how yeah. is this related to plastic surgery and this is why i'm like is this bad writing or not cuz if if he said he was like an importer or something i would be like oh he it's it's a he it's a money laundering thing right like he's yeah. he's just he's actually a criminal and that's just the front he puts up but that it's plastic surgery i'm like is it supposed to just be a front did woody like not go back and change it after he came up with a better idea like it just makes that character seem kind of odd and ill-fitting and the fact that you never get any details which like should be a strength of the movie i think that because these guys are so ancillary to everything and so not criminals that they never actually get any details about who or why and this guy just seems like a chill and normal that they kill yeah Um, yeah like a bit of a piece of shit like clearly he's got like a bit of a a seedy side but like he doesn't seem like that bad of a dude he's using his wealth to you know take home like 20 year old supermodels so it seems like yeah he he's got a gambling problem and he like sleeps with younger women but like again that you get no details should be like an interesting like narrative trick instead it's just like you're just left confused because you don't understand what plastic surgery has to do with anything well i find the aspects like that which mostly occur at the front end of the film yes. to actually be like genuinely funny if you're gonna okay. look at this film as like a black comedy like which i'm not how they only clear. show scenes they only show scenes of terry losing money while gambling and then it cuts and he's talking to Ian and he's like yeah and then my luck turned around and I ended up walking away with $30,000 and like that stuff is actually pretty interesting it's it's the like um it's like the bad lieutenant uh port of call yes thing where movie language Hollywood movie language has taught you to like when you see stuff like that to always expect like, Oh, and then it's going to go downhill and then they're going to have to deal with the consequences of gambling and addiction and things like that. And then before you even see it happen, it cuts to the future and he's like, and everything worked out perfectly. And when it goes against form like that, which the beginning of the film tends to do, it is genuinely funny in that sardonic humor type of way. The, The problem is, once you hit the third act, the movie becomes so sincere in yeah. what it's trying to evoke out of you that it loses all of that um, sarcastic momentum that it had. Well, not that it had a ton of it in the first place, but, but that whatever ounce of that sarcastic momentum that it did have, it loses it completely. It's not even like, I mean, it is, it is that sense of sarcasm, but it's not even just that sense of like tonal imbalance as it is like the rhythm of the movie is off because so much of that first scene, the first half of the movie is also like straight up alighting and skipping events that occur. Yeah. Right. Like you, you, like 
a scene will happen and then the next scene will start and someone will like address in a line of dialogue something that you would expect to be a whole scene in the movie. Like it, it kind of just trucks in a way that at times feels like they shot this pretty quickly and are covering. And at times is very structurally interesting. Um, I don't think you really mentioned it in your, uh, in your plot synopsis, but Ewan is dating an actress played by Haley Atwell, who's a bit of a gold digger and a lot of their like actual courting, like occurs off screen. Like, yeah. You'll see him be kind of like awkward and flirty with her and she, her being like barely giving him the time of day in one scene. And then like a few scenes later, they're like together and then it'll have gone bad again. But like all all of that occurs off screen. But then, like you fucking said in the plot synopsis, once Tom Wilkinson walks in this movie and says, I need you to kill this guy, the fucking pace just fucking slows to a crawl so everything can be like dramatized on screen and it's just been doing this since fucking Macbeth. like you know what's i know what's going to happen you know that the one brother you know that the one brother is gonna convince the other brother to go through it and then it's all gonna turn into this mess of suspicion where since we've committed this act and you can never trust that the one person isn't going to turn on you and, and it's so spiel. obvious. Yeah. Like, you know, everything's going to happen. If anything, if you're going to like allied and like almost have this fragmented narrative, that's the stuff you want to like be skipping through. Like that would almost be an interesting formal idea. Yeah. This idea that like, we're going to like sit in the muck of the almost like Michael esque like social drama of the first half and then sprint through the crime thriller on fast forward because you've seen the crime thriller so many times. And what's interesting is the contrast between the two modes. I actually thought at one point in time that that's what this film was doing. Yeah. Because you see them struggle. Well, not, not the Ewan character, but the Colin character like outright doesn't want to commit this murder and yeah. he's really just getting guided along because he's more easily susceptible to this kind of persuasion that the Ewan character is capable of um, using against him. Yeah. And then at one point, so they, they haven't committed the murder yet and they're still kind of at the, there's a couple like failed attempts yes. to to commit the murder not not that they actually like attempt the murder but that they're in the scene where they can attempt it and they just choose not to because it doesn't feel right in the moment My... and then at one point it cuts and Ewan is paying back their father money that he had stolen from him. Yes. And in my head, I went, oh, they did the murder. I already. had the same thought. Yeah. But that's not what it is. No, it's just like the down yeah. payment on the murder that their uncle had given them. Speaking of the weirdly structured narrative, so there's the idea like yeah. neither one of them wants to do it, right? Colin has more of a moral objection to doing it. Um, Ewan just doesn't want to do it because he finds it unpleasant, but he doesn't have any problem with killing this guy to get the money, right? Like, he's much more mercenary than Colin. The way the murder plays out is Colin builds these, like, wooden single-shot zip guns that can be easily disposed of. So the idea is that they both have a gun with one bullet in it, and they're both going to shoot the guy to make sure he's dead, but they both only have the one shot, right? Right. Table that for a second. 
the for me the most interesting scene in the movie is their first real attempt at the murder they break into this guy's house they're waiting for him to show up um and then he comes back in and there's a woman with him and Colin gets freaked out because he doesn't want to have to kill two people. And Ewan seems mostly to get freaked out because he's aware that logistically they don't actually have the ability to kill two people. So they just leave, right? <laughs> yeah. And and when they're getting in the car, this is my favorite moment in the damn movie because it's so interesting. Colin turns to Ewan and says, almost like a child, I would have done it if she wasn't there. Yeah. Right? Like he's not. For he he is in this moment the adrenaline is pumping in him and he's flipped and now he just wants his his brother to not think he's a coward and then i think it sucks on the movie's behalf that you don't actually see the murder happen because i think that yeah. that line of dialogue introduces a moral complication but when the murder actually happens the camera pans away and you hear the two gunshots and that you don't know who shot him first because I don't I think they ever thought... explicitly say who shot him first, but that's that is the sort of tension the movie's building towards is who's going to be the one to actually do it first and who's the follower. And the movie doesn't want to deliver on that something that complicated, you know? Yeah, I also like I don't know if this is a better movie. I think it's a definitely a more surprising movie or more shocking movie or unexpected. But I, there were times when just based off of the Colin performance at certain aspects before the murder had actually taken place, but when they're gearing up to do it, there are times when you could kind of like cue in where it's like, this is this is literally breaking this man's brain. And I yes. thought what was going to happen was they were going to commit the murder and he was going to just turn hyper violent. Like it was going to it was going to turn him into like an unstoppable yeah. force uh, where he was just going to keep killing and taking and killing and taking. And it's just I don't know. I've seen that movie though. It turns I I have two, but yeah, yeah. That's why I said I don't know if it's better. I think this is really like that's the hit this really plays version. out exactly at, at exactly you it. as you yeah. say it does. That is also, if I remember correctly, that is kind of what match point is. Oh really? Yeah. It's got that like kind of almost crime and punishment y thing where it's like it gets easier for him. Uh as he digs himself up deeper What's and deeper. What's that Ripley thing? Yeah. Yeah. Ripley too. Yeah. I mean, match point is very Ripley. I thought it was going to be more like not, not that aspect yeah. of it. That makes it interesting, but the aspect of the Ian character being like, no, I just want to be a successful businessman now. And the Terry character being like, let's just keep fucking killing people. Yeah. Type of deal. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know that that's more interesting. It's something, and this movie's not something, which is this movie's <laughs> big problem is like you said, it's I mean, and that everything plays out is I think kind of the idea because it is called Cassandra Cassandra's Dream. Yeah. And like just for context, I'm sure everyone listening to this knows this, but like that is an allusion to the character of Cassandra, who I believe is in the Iliad, but is definitely in one of the Greek tragedies, who was cursed by the gods to like have the gift of prophecy, but have no one believe her that it's happening, which is just like a belabored idea, right? That like, well, once they set down on this like aspirational path, you know where it's going to end. Can I see my biggest problem with this movie? Yeah. Not I mean, enough boat. Not enough the boat. Biggest one. The Not boat, boat. Because here's the thing. If you're going to have that be like the framing structure, right? This Cassandra metaphor. Mm-hmm. 
And that the reason the movie is literally called Cassandra's Dream is that that is the name of the sailboat that they both own. I think that they buy in the first scene that they buy in the first scene. They buy this sailboat in the first scene. They go sailing on it a few times. And then Ewan takes Colin out on the boat to kill him at the end. At the very end of the film. And you'd never see it in the end. Everything needs to hinge on the boat. If you're going to have this be the belabored metaphor and name it after the boat, their financial troubles need to be boat related. Like tensions between the two brothers need to be boat related. That Mm -hmm. boat needs to matter to the crux of the narrative and it doesn't it's just there in the beginning in the end of the movie to justify the title and like that's another thing that's first draft about this movie because you can easily rewrite everything have the murder take place on the boat you know have colin go into debt fixing up the boat you know like it feels like it was written into the beginning of the film because he had this idea of the accidental uh, the accidental murder and then uh, suicide at the end of the, like as the way that the film was ending. Yes. So then you have to write it in at the beginning yes. to make it ironic for it to end that the, way. Yeah. The opening scene of this movie, which is just the two of them like running like excitedly yeah. through a shipyard to the boat. It almost feels like an Ed Burns movie for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. um, I actually really like that opening scene where they're like these giddy little schoolboys, and then too. the guy they're buying it to comes down and they have to be like, oh, this boat sucks. It's like it's a funny bit of business. But they're bad at it. But they're really bad yeah. at it. It's there's a few scenes where the fact the idea that this movie all takes place in uh, like wide shots with no coverage which is also a bit of a Woody Allen thing, though I think it's accelerated in this one. Um, you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, if you count Blue Jasmine as one of his work, like, on the worst side of his filmography, yeah. um, which I can't... Well, I wouldn't. I'd call it middle of the road. Oh, uh, okay. I think, the if I re- from what I remember of that film, like, the lacking aspects of it are that when it is also shot... Yeah. mostly in wide with no coverage and there's no a lot of his movies are especially no especially... visual juxtaposition yes. to what's happening yeah i think this movie gets a lot in in some of the scenes of fun business from those shots of like who's listening do you get what i'm saying that like so much of this movie is private conversations but because he's shooting it in he has a really good sense of like characters ducking their heads into frame and like maybe overhearing something they're not supposed to it never like becomes a plot point in a way that you'd want to but i think there's some fun with blocking Uh, i think there's fun with blocking as you say but i think the problem when it's shot almost fully and wide and you're making a thriller is that yes. it never oh, feels, yeah. oh, it yes. never feels like the walls it, are closing in. No, it never feels it like, always feels like they can get out of this mess that they've built for themselves. The half of this movie that's a bad Michael Lee movie, yeah, works well shot the way it does. The the half of this movie that's a thriller is like again, I but I that's what I'm saying. I think the way it's shot invites ways for you to feel the sense of paranoia. And it because it never pays off, because there are no complications, no one ever figures it out. Um, you get Which what is I'm crazy saying? Because yeah. like, but like you're I, telling me there's not a single camera in exactly. that entire uh, but like, they walk like through an entire village to get to the guy, and you're and and again, it's 
he's testifying against their uncle. Like he gets murdered. Their uncle is suspect primary number one. And you're telling me there's not a single camera that shows them walking through the same village on the night that he gets murdered. But I'm thinking of like when, when Tom Wilkinson pitches the murder to them, they're standing in this like <laughs> garden, right? And like you can tell because the shot is so wide that no one else is there, right? They're in this isolated garden. But then when he brings up the idea of the murder, he's like, oh, it's starting to rain. We got to go stand under that tree. And even though you're aware that they're alone, all of a sudden they like shift into a positioning where they're like – cramped and huddled together and taking up way less space in the frame and there's like tree branches in front of them and it's like it is a nice visual metaphor that just doesn't ever build to anything i think also of like sally hawkins being on the frame and some of the shots where colin like almost starts to like say more than he should you know she's there this idea that she could hear is raised by the movie she just never hears it but contrast to that like all the people like coming in and flirting with Haley atwell in the dressing room in those wides like the way that kind of like plays with the dynamic of her and ewan's relationship is so good um there's a great moment in this movie earlier too where ewan is briefly dating a waitress at the restaurants. <laughs> I know played. exactly what you're talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's yeah. so, but Connor, is it so fucking good or what? When he's talking to his dad, yeah, but it's so good. Yeah. yeah. He, he's briefly dating this woman in the restaurant. Um, and there's a, sh- and then he starts dating Haley Atwell and there's a shot of like a wide shot of him and his dad in the kitchen. He's talking about how he wants to like go off and do bigger and better things. You see like all the busboys and the dishwashers and the cooks like walking around them and they start talking and the conversation drifts to um, Haley Atwell and Ewan goes, you don't understand dad. Like she's amazing. She's incredible. I've never met a girl like this. And as he says that the, the waitress he was dating who was played by, sorry, I was looking at the play by, um, Ashley uh, Medequi, I believe that would uh, be pronounced. She walks in to the kitchen in like the corner of the frame and like gets like half a second to like register that before the scene cuts. Right. It's, it's a really good button. And the whole time I'm like, why is this woman in the the best joke in the movie? It's the best joke in the movie. And it's such a good encapsulation of why this guy's a shithead. Right. Yeah, because he doesn't he of course she could hear them. They're in the middle of her workplace. She has to come in and out of that room to run food outs. But he doesn't care because he's a shithead. That bit of blocking is better than anything Ewan does as an actor in this movie. To to go off what you were saying just a little bit ago, it is it is implied at one point nearing the end of the film that the Sally Hawkins character has come to think that the Terry character played by Colin, like she thinks that he is mentally ill and believes that he has committed a murder, which would be much more interesting if the Ian character was just acting off of that information alone. But literally in the next scene, the Terry character uh, confronts Ian and says, I'm going to go to the police because I can't deal with what I've done, which completely negates the tension that was created by the Sally Hawkins scene that happened just before it. 
Yeah. So why would you have a scene and then negate it um, draft, for like no draft, aesthetic man. or structural yeah. purpose? It's, it's 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 just a lot. It's just it's it's tenfold more interesting to have him just play off of that information alone. Yes. No, yeah. I concur. It's just it just feels like a first draft movie in so many ways. Um, Hawkins. Do we like Sally Hawkins in general? Where you where where you fall in Sally Hawkins? Um, I don't want to say I I don't want to say she's one of my favorites, but I would say I feel like I really like her. I feel like in most stuff I see her in, I'm like when I feel like I'm in safe she hands. Bad yeah. is what I'm saying. Just when she bad, man. I don't think ever. Yeah, yeah. and I've never seen fucking Happy Go Lucky. Have um, you seen Have you seen a little movie called Paddington? My yeah, she's so good in the Paddington movies. <laughs> she um, Paddington 2 is like Paddington 2, her performance specifically is like yeah. a legitimate this could yes. win awards performance. Well, <laughs> I mean, I know I have poo-pooed this movie a couple times and I don't particularly care for this movie. She is, in fact, like insanely next level transcendent in Blue Jasmine and yeah, probably was- should have won yeah. Best Supporting Actress. Of of the nominees that year, she's probably the best. Um, how do you feel cool about nominee. her in The Shape of Water? It's which is probably fine. her most acclaimed performance. If you're just well, no, Happy Go Lucky is her most acclaimed. Oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a hard movie to be in. You know, yeah. uh, that movie sucks. Dog farts is the <laughs> thing. Uh, she's doing her dang best in that dumb movie for babies. Uh, no disrespect to her. Uh, you know what movie she's not good in? Are you gonna say Cassandra's Drew? Cassandra's because what? I don't think she's bad. In she it. has nothing to do. Like it's not her. Fault. I actually, I actually think she's. I actually think she's. She gives a pretty good performance. It's just like I the movie itself could, doesn't know what to do with it. I don't think you could call this a performance legally. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't I, think there is enough going on there, and that's well, not. I her think fault. she looks genuinely concerned about the Terry <laughs> character. You know. In like one shot, she's just she's just <laughs> there for Colin to have a girlfriend. I wish she it's was a waste able, of Sally Hawkins. I wish she I wish like this point of her career has passed. So it makes me sad that she didn't get the opportunity to give more performances in this kind of milieu. Oh, um, sure. Yeah. Uh, let's let's speed round through a few more here. Well, not speed round, but let me just kind of just want to go through the actors here. Yeah. At well, do what do we think about at well? Uh, I don't I don't know if I had seen her in anything other than like Captain America. Yes. If I'm being honest. Like, is she in uh, anything big? Am I forgetting something important? That she's a in? bunch of British TV. Yeah. And then whatever the t- the show that she was in. Yeah. Like Agents of Shield or whatever yeah. that was. I, I, don't uh, know. I mean, she's yeah. in a movie that might come up later in this episode. Um, but I'm gonna table that for a second because I don't okay. want to say its title. Um Haley Atwell, I'm gonna say it. Stinking up the joint in this movie. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm not. Especially, uh... I know you've never seen this movie, and I also <laughs> know that like the the culture, the the actual like important cultural context of this movie, like may might not even exist in your brain. But are you aware that like Match Point is the movie that saved Scarlett Johansson's career? No. Because I wasn't Scar- aware of that. that uh, this is serious. Because yeah. ScarJo like comes out the gate right um, in ninety nine two thousand two thousand one. No, it's two thousand one. Because I think Ghost World is her first movie. She comes out of the gate in two thousand one, and she's obviously like so beautiful. 
Mm-hmm. Right. She's in fact so beautiful that I think people don't take her seriously. And when your really big, good performances are lost in translation and um, ghost world, which are such odd, strange performances, like she gets tagged with this label of can't act from the jump. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't help that movies like the perfect crime and girl with the pearl earring don't go anywhere. Like, We've kind of talked about this idea of like Colin Farrell was viewed as like this hot party boy who couldn't actually hack it in movies. That is how people talked about ScarJo until she makes Match Point, which is this, just this fucking like blow the doors off femme fatale performance in this like twisty smart movie that like teaches people, oh, no, she's smart. She's actually an actress. She thinks. Well, can right? I butt in? Yeah. Because I was. Well, I can't. There's no legitimacy, legitimacy to what I'm about to say. Sure. But it, before you were going on this tangent, I was literally about to ask if she was never in the prestige and people never criticized her British accent. Would she have been the, the Haley Atwell? Maybe. In this but, film? Yeah. Maybe. But I mean, I think because people... it seems like that's what they're aiming for is Scarlett yes. Johansson. I, from her. Yeah. Yes. I think some of the like clap back to her in the prestige is people being like oh wait was match point a fluke is like then the prestige comes out and it's like then you have this back and forth tension with her her entire career until like 2012 where people where then it becomes like wait is she good like she's not enshrined as good until she does like avengers but match point is the movie that starts people being like she gets good notices for it. She almost gets an Oscar nomination for it. Like I get again, that weirdly the point of this movie is that it's not like a crime thriller. Like that seems to be the idea that he's going for. So Atwell isn't the femme fatale, but she seems to be playing that by then just being like the most boring person alive. Like she's not, you don't get why Ewan is like falling over her besides the fact that she's beautiful. It's it's like the movie's trying to say that all that uh materialism in itself like assumes the role in everyday life that femme fatales. I guess in but noir. But that I'm really pro- I'm really projecting a lot. I, I think we're projecting here. a lot. Yeah. Uh she's so fun in those Avengers movies. It's just again bad because scripts. I guess I guess what I'm going to say is like if you look at a lot of those erotic erotically tinged noirs from the 40s something like double indemnity where the entire like the character in voiceover is constantly not not fully putting the blame for his actions on the woman who's causing him to do it Mm -hmm. but the film itself is trying to portray these male figures as getting so twisted around a depraved beautiful woman that um, they like lose their complete sense of uh, moral righteousness. And, and like the one, the one thing that is, I think interesting about this film, not being a traditional thriller is that the Ian character understands that what they're doing is wrong and is like constantly trying to give reasons as to why he needs to do the thing that they're about to do. 
instead of just doing yeah. it yeah. like that's not usually how these work like the the noir lead doesn't usually tell other people oh i have to kill this guy because like this is my one chance to get married to this woman like <laughs> you know why? and it's not even it's not even like the ian character it's not even like it's being portrayed that he has been this um seduced by the Haley atwell character but more just like more just like he's using that as an excuse to do the thing which will allow him to move to california because it's implied that like once he gets to california he'll just find another one yes there yeah but it's imp- you want it that to it's be not a little... hinging it's not hinging on the Haley atwell care and again yeah. i am projecting an insane amount I, I don't need every idea to be spelled out for me but i would like these things to be a little more that's fully what developed. i'm saying and if it's the like... idea is that she's just arm candy for the sake of being arm candy i still think she can give a more engaging performance than the one she's giving in this movie oh yeah yeah i didn't mean that to be in any way like uh like benefit of her of the performance that she gives just to say that like i think what the film is trying to do is to say that like her commonplace everyday materialism is being weaponized as a femme fatale by the Ian character to justify the actions that sure. the Ian character is going to undertake. I but again, think, I am projecting like a huge amount. This onto movie does kind of demand a lot of projection because it's so yeah. wafer thin. Um, Ewan's bad in this. I'm sorry. Yeah. Ewan is like also totally unmoored, totally lost, which is a shame because he is one of my favorite actors. And I do think that you and Colin movie should fucking spark should be flying constantly because an engaged you and an engaged Colin should just be like bouncing off each other with pure charisma. I feel like Colin's really working in this. I think it's not paying off, but I don't know what to make working. I think he's trying a lot and I don't think the movie is supporting it. This is your thing that you always say that like the movie has to like, it has normally, to meet him at yeah, what he's trying to I, do. I yeah. normally say, like, well, sometimes the performance can just be good in the vacuum, and you tend to bristle at that. I, I'm with you, your traditional take here, where, like, I don't even know that I think it's a good performance because I think it's just, like, pure charisma, like, and, like, locked into this and this kind of joviality in search of anything to play off of. And he kind of just feels... Because no one else is giving that kind of casually naturalistic a performance in the movie, yeah. it actually makes it feel a little artificial, I think. But that's not his I don't think it does because I'm thinking of I'm thinking of like the scene where the Wilkinson character like actually like the one you were talking about when they're standing under the tree and he actually brings up the idea of them murdering this guy. Yeah, best and scene in the movie. The way Colin reacts to it is is not the way that other actors have done that yes. in similar scenes. Like <laughs> the, the disgust, the disgust that the Terry character has, and the kind of the magnitude of disgust, which allows him to act in a way where he's not even concerned about offending his beloved uncle, is something that I was taken aback by because he's just but, like. But, Are you kidding me? I'm not gonna murder someone. Uh, but this, but this like, is my point, though. Is yeah. like, I, 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 I agree that that's not a choice another act would make. But I think about, and again, I don't necessarily think this is Colin's fault. And I'm gonna give an analogy here: uh, Cafe Society from 2016, Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, a movie I actually think is very good. Uh, Kristen Stewart is in that movie. Now, as I've said before, 
Woody Allen doesn't really direct actors. Um, yeah. If he doesn't like the performance they're giving, he'll actually fire them and reshoot it. Uh, Cafe Society, one of the more famous examples of that because Steve Carell is like second build in that movie. And that part was originally Bruce Willis and they shot for like a week. And Woody was like, this isn't working. And so he just started over. Um, But because Woody Allen doesn't direct his actors, you end up with what is going on with Kristen Stewart and Cafe Society. Do you like Kristen Stewart? I don't know if you ever talked about this. I hate to say it, but I don't think so. Okay. (laughs) I don't have anything against her. I just don't think I connect with her performances most of the time. I love Kristen Stewart. I think she's an incredible actress, but I think we can both agree. She's a very busy actress, right? I do think she's gifted. I just personally don't find that tissue of connection with with the performance. That's fine. We'll do her on this podcast and you'll realize why (laughs) she's great. But you understand what I'm saying. She's a very busy actress, right? Yeah, yeah. She's always doing a lot. She's like a, a small lot of lip biting, a lot, a lot of, of like lip biting. Her she, yeah, she thinks about like minute movements the way other actors don't. Um, one of my favorite bits of her things she's ever done is there's a shot in the movie Adventureland where she like does this insane eyeline acting where she's it's just a reaction shot of her listening to Jesse Eisenberg, but you can watch her like her eyes darting around the room as she registers a piece of information that he hasn't registered. And I'm like, that's the kind of actress Kristen Stewart is. She thinks that minutely. You put her into a Woody Allen movie where no one else is going to be doing that level of work. And she actually comes across as really bad. Like you watch that movie and you're like, oh, it's just ticks. It's just behaviors. It's just like she's overacting. Yes, you put Kristen Stewart with a director who can work with her in either direction, and, like, those performances are great. In a Woody Allen movie, she becomes too big. I think Colin's the same way, where he's giving a better performance than anyone else, but because he's giving a better performance than anyone else, it kind of becomes a bad performance, because you can tell he's acting more. Whereas if everyone else in this movie was actually, like, acting he'd be fine but now he's the only one acting i think and this it's movie, distracting i think when you're looking at the performance if you just separate it from the actual movie we're talking about yes and you compare it to the movies that we've already gone through american outlaws the yes crew, the bland one swat yes you could tell that by this point in his career despite the issues that he may have had in his personal life that may have distracted the public from his actual skill distracted the the media um have probably affected his performances in ways that he regrets today. But you can tell when you're watching a film like this, that like he genuinely loves the process of, of acting. And he's still going, this is what I'm saying is like, he's still going to do the work even when the film isn't demanding that of him. And even when the filmmaker isn't demanding that of him. Meanwhile, Ewan, on the other hand, <laughs> nothing is like you can see him considering retirement. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in almost every shot, which is insane because I I know it's boilerplate, but he gave an interview you found around the time this movie yeah. came out where he's like, oh, I'd work with Woody Allen whenever. He's he's just a great actor, a great director. He's a great writer, and I'm like, you're miserable in this movie, and I know your career has taken a nosedive, but like, you are Ewan McGregor. You are one of the best actors alive. You should just. 
you are not hitting a baseline competency level in this performance. Whereas like someone like Wilkinson is like a fucking pro and comes in and just fucking steals the movie out from everyone and then clocks out for lunch, you know? This is just like, it, it happens all the time where directors who aren't necessarily actors, directors end up getting these ensemble casts that you would, that should be electric, miss. that should like just crackle I, with electricity and then it doesn't I, happen. When I woke up this morning before this movie, I was like, well, we're going to do the fucking Ewan, not Rushmore today, because Ewan McGregor is the fucking best. And then I saw this and I have no enthusiasm for it. I still kind of want to do it, but like, he's just so checked out in this movie. And he's. You want to do it before we like continue talking shit about him so we can be like, Ewan McGregor is a good actor and you should watch these other movies. But this is, yes. And I want to do that because I also want to make the point when we do this that. Ewan has given truly great performances in the kind of things you'd expect someone to yeah. phone it in. And yeah, so we were, I'm kind of in a weird spot with the Ewan one though, because we were supposed to have a guest on this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I kind of came, when I woke up this morning, I didn't realize he was going to dip on us, uh, which is fine. Um, And so I had like the one, Actually, this morning, it seemed like he wasn't going to dip Exactly. It wasn't until later in the afternoon. Yeah, that we realized he wasn't going to make the recording. So I I woke up this morning, and I was, like, locked and loaded the the one pick I was going to have. But now I have two picks, and I get to open. So now I'm in a bit of a bind, because you opened the Michael Mann one. Yeah. But I think I'm going to trust you to do the right thing so I can get a little freaky with it. But also it wouldn't be an Ewan McGregor Mount Rushmore if we didn't get a little freaky with it. There's, there's a, there's a wild card that I have. In well, there's a wild card that I have, Okay, but I do know what is easily my favorite Ewan McGregor performance. And like, again, Ewan McGregor. I'm kind incredible. of sure that it's the same that I we might be Ewan like McGregor. That incredible actor has a long legacy behind him i do think the best performance of his career is actually fairly recent um, okay so we're not going with the same one oh. I, I actually think you might veto this because i've brought oh, really? this movie up before and you've like made fart noises uh <laughs> but it's just is it a crime against new jersey this movie i don't think so okay um i don't know if Ewan McGregor has a history with drug addiction. Uh, oh, no, beyond, I don't. I do not have. I do be, not. Beyond the fact that he was obviously in train spotting. Yeah. But what I do know is that Ewan McGregor has made two kind of three movies about like recovery that are some of the most affecting movies I've seen. And what's affecting about those movies is the performance he gives as a recovering addict. And I am not going with train spotting too. As much as I love train spotting too. And I think the performance he gives in train spotting too is so like heartfelt and beautiful and, and carries the weight of like the crimes that Renton has committed in his life as an addict and the harm he caused and the guilt that he bears on his shoulders as good as he is in Transponding 2, I think that is a dry run for what is, I think, 
Ewan McGregor's best performance. And I think Ewan McGregor's best performance in the first spot in Mount Rushmore is Dr. Sleep. Oh, it, it's, I haven't seen the movie. You've never seen the movie. Yeah. This it's is so, what we talked about before. I haven't I seen mean, the movie. I, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. You were, yeah. you were scoffing at the idea that, Ferguson is good in it. I thought you were trying to say that I don't like Train Spotting Two, which no, which I was like, what no, are you tra- talking about? No, Train Spotting yeah. Two is great. I'm just saying. So you've never seen Doctor Sleep? So, no, because I said that Ferguson yeah. can't be a film. Uh, yes, I. Yeah, that was what it was. I think that if Doctor Sleep was not a huge bomb, the sequel to The Shining, <laughs> called Doctor Sleep, based on one of Stephen King's worst novels about what dr sleep is about which is fucking crazy pants banana town i think ewan <laughs> i think ewan that is his oscar nomination because he's never gotten an oscar nomination right i don't uh, think so no double check to, that to my knowledge. um because the idea of danny in that movie is that now you have seen the shining i yeah of course I've seen he is movie. he is playing adult danny torrance in dr sleep and the idea of that take on that character is that Danny Torrance became his father. He grew up oh. and the sort of like specter of the overlook and the fact that he as a psychic like attracts evil to him turned him into this broken, violent alcoholic. So much of the first hour in the director's cut honestly of dr sleep is following adult danny torrance going through recovery like hitting rock bottom deciding to go to aa starting his life afresh and like figuring out how he can do it and then if if the metaphor in the shining is that the overbearing like threat of the ghosts on jack torrance is the desire to drink it's the exact same thing to him right that he's He's found this peace for himself. He's found this life for himself where he's free. But then Stephen King shit starts happening and people are in danger and he has to help them. And that becomes the fucking like the overlooming specter. It's back. He can't shake it. There's a scene in this movie. You're gonna laugh. Henry Thomas from E.T. in Jack Nicholson makeup plays jack he danny goes to the overlook um what and and the ghost of jack is there and the ghost of jack is the bartender and so the scene is you know the scene in the shining where he talks with the bartender yeah yeah yeah. henry thomas is just reciting the lines the bartender says while danny has to have a conversation with his dead father that is not actually his father. It's just this manifestation of evil. And Ewan it, sells it. Is the so, makeup better or worse than the Robert Carlyle? Uh, it's John about the same. The movie doesn't give you that many good shots of his face. Okay. Uh, you can Google Henry Thomas, Jack Torrance. Um, I don't know if I want to do it without watching the movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the I will say this. The the movie is smarter than yesterday is about not um not really putting the makeup front and center and really like dancing around it a bit. But just Ewan, for all that that movie is so silly and for all that movie is so terrifying when it wants to be, like at the crux of Doctor Sleep is just Ewan giving this like but because again, 
if you're Danny Torrance and you're eight years old and that fucking shit happens to you, how do you go? How do you live? You know? And yeah. and that's the crux of what Ewan locks into in this deeply, deeply affecting and like heart-wrenching performance. I love it so much. It's number one. You should watch Dr. Sleep. It's really fucking <laughs> okay. good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's silly. There's a lot going on in that movie. Watch the three hour cut. When did Dr. Sleep come out? 2019 and it bombed. I remember uh being I remember being excited about it and then maybe it bombing was what caused me to yeah. never see I, it. I that I was when I was Flanagan. working in collegiate athletics and I didn't have weekends <laughs> because I was, you know, all the sports are played on weekends. So I couldn't yeah. I, I wasn't seeing a lot of films that year. It was very sad. Depression City, not seeing yeah. movies. Uh, so you get two picks. Yeah, I, I, there's one that I don't want to take away from you, and I'm not necessarily sure that you're gonna end up picking it, but okay, I, I'm not. What? I'm not what gonna you... say anything that that defeats the purpose of it. Well, do you wanna do you wanna be able to to make it your pick or no? Do what you're gonna do. Don't yeah. think about what I'm gonna do, or do think about what I'm gonna do. But I'm not gonna tell you what it's about to tell you. Well, um, I mean, okay, so there, there's like a canonic. There's there's a, a like a handful of canonic yes. ones. Yes. Um, Follow your heart. You well, have two picks. I truly think like the most important film, the most important performance that he's given in a film is Train Spotting. So I'll true. just go with Train Spotting as number one. And Does I do love Train Spotting too, but I think the thing with Train Spotting one is that nobody in the world could have given that performance that he gave at that yes. moment in time that captures. Because it took me a long time to watch the first Train Spotting, because I was not the type of kid who was interested in the idea of a film about drug use and how fun drug use yes. is, which is what I thought the film was about, especially from people who seemed to watch it at a younger age and enjoy it at that moment in time. So when I did watch it for the first time, I was completely taken aback by how much in my opinion, it's not really even a movie about drug use and more a movie about the existentialism of youth, like when yes. you're on the verge of true adulthood, Yes, which is something that I think everybody deals with. Just in this film, it's portrayed to the nth degree. Yes. And I think Ewan's ability to portray Rent Boy as not an intellectual, but capable of high reason, Yes. while still being an addict of kind of the worst behaviors and and shown at the lowest of the low in times is a juggling act that not many actors are 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 can can even dream of pulling off and for him to do it is is like a miracle of cinema yes. and to see it on screen is is nothing short of enthralling um he also so like if if the 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 trick of that movie is that it gets what a movie like Requiem for a Dream doesn't get, which mm -hmm. is that heroin has to be fun for the bad stuff to be bad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That like you need yeah. the highs and the lows for the movie to work. He gets the sexiness of a character like Rent Boy, right? In a way that, like, I know Ewan Bremer played that role on stage. Uh, I, I just, I love Ewan Bremer, but I can't see Ewan Bremer getting, like, why anyone would be so attracted to Renton that he can, like, have this almost, like, cult of sycophants 
constantly surrounding him, sober or high, you know? The idea of Rent Boy as this guy who, like, when you watch him and all you can think is, what are you doing? You could be anything. You can go to school and be anything you want to be. Yes. But you're you're so bogged down by by the mod like by the contemporary the horrors of the modern world that you just like can't make it out of this yeah. of this whirlwind that you've you've found yourself in. Um, yeah. it's transponding. It has to be there, you know. Yeah. Everyone has the one that has to be there, and there's a reason for that. And thank you for picking it so I can go freak nasty. That's that's what I thank kind you. of wanted to gift you. But I, I think <laughs> I think you might veto, you might veto my second pick. Well, okay, there was, I will yeah. say this. There was one movie that I was going to veto if you said that I just came in here and I was like, I'm just doing it if he does it. So, <laughs> so it might be the same one. Um, so here, what's your second pick? I will say this. If it's the movie I'm thinking, the movie I'm vetoing is a movie not. that I thought you were going to bring up in a recent it's... episode and I was ready to veto it then too. Oh, interesting. So it might not be the same movie. Who did we do last? Not last. I said recent. Oh, who was it? Who was the actor? No, well, well, tell me the pick, and then I'll tell you if okay. I'm reading it or not. <laughs> so something something that's crazy about this film is um, this idea of brothers who are conflicting over their aspirations. Yes. Um, and it's I don't think it's the fact that like Terry isn't aspirational, but Ian is aspirational. They're both aspirational. They just go about their aspirations in a different manner. Their their aspirations are different too. Terry's is yeah. achievable. Ian's is not, you know? And regardless of regardless of um of Terry not being able to come to terms with the act that they actually uh commit, he still is he's he's still pushed by that that aspiration to to commit the thing that they do. And Ewan McGregor's not good in this movie. No, but Ewan McGregor has played brothers later in his career. Okay, we're, we're good. We're good. In Keep Fargo season three, he plays twins. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's not. I, and I, I, I am tempted to to whip out the veto on the grounds that I don't like prestige television and yeah. I don't like the existence of the show Fargo. But I'll let you go with it because I've never seen it. So I'll so, let you go with it. The thing about Fargo season three is that he plays these twin brothers who had an I I I can't really remember because I watched it when it came out back in 2017. I think it's an uncle. Their uncle died and he left them. Uh, I I believe it's a Corvette and like an antique penny that he was holding holding on to. And the brothers kind of fought over the Corvette at the time, and the one brother won it. And the other brother got the penny. Well, it turns out that the penny was actually like a half a million dollar okay. antique penny. So it so 20 years later in their mid 40s or even verging on 50, the brother who got the penny is now this uber successful owner of a parking lot chain in the Midwest. And yeah. the other brother is driving the same Corvette and is out of shape and has a mullet and is just like the loser of all losers. And that's essentially where this season takes off from. And he's 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 doing a better job acting against himself in this with okay. episodes of material than you could even dream when watching Cassandra, Cassandra's dream, yeah. no pun intended. Um, and 
you you have got me for a loop here. As like, far as so as far as adult here. as as far as like middle age Ewan goes within the last decade, I I think that's the my favorite thing that I've seen from him. Although I, I'm not counting Train Spotting too because I already yeah. put Train Spotting one. Yeah, he's um, in the Rushmore. Yeah. Also, this idea, also this idea in Fargo season three, which is kind of exemplify two in train spotting two of ewan mcgregor as the older former but still movie star the really good looking ewan mcgregor and then the twin ewan mcgregor playing down playing as ugly as he can possibly get no that's fun and that that you get i mean it's the i've never seen it but that's what's so much fun about his performance in the island too is that you have like (laughs) yeah yeah you know like that that ewan is such this like handsome guy who was so slotted in these like romantic leading man roles but like started out playing these like awful little monsters that he does have this like angel and devil inside him as a performer and like again i've never seen fargo but it's so much fun in the island that he does both those guys at the same time right i think where you have the island and you have the second role in the island is such a caricature and exaggeration of so good though what you it is good but i think the thing is in Fargo, he's playing two fully lived in yes. characters and he's playing off of himself I, in a lot I, of these scenes. I would yeah. maybe nominate just the second performance in the island for best supporting <laughs> actor island. that year. I think he's so yeah. funny. Um, okay, well, you threw me for a loop, so now I kind of like I'm thinking about this, okay, because there's a yeah. lot we could go with, right? There is. He's so scary in Obi-Wan, Shallow Grave. Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan. He's so not the movies, the show, not the movie. He's so scary and shallow, right? Like you kind of need that fucking like kick down the door energy to think about. Yeah. To his credit, his like not an impression, but the same person as Alec Guinness performance in the Star Wars movies is the best thing about the trilogy is the performance he gives there. Uh, I've never seen that TV show because I'm not a virgin. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I actually haven't. I was, you know, uh, down with love is one of the best comedic performances of the past 20 years. Right. Like Mm. insane. Um, I love what he's doing in big fish and I love what he's doing in Moulin Rouge, even though those are both cartoon characters. The problem with big fish is that Albert Finney is just, well, Finney is a fucking, that's the best performance. It was a good, um, he's so good in haywire. Right. Like everyone sleeps on how good he is in Haywire. <laughs> yeah. He's so these are all the comedic ones, right? Like I'm burning through all the comedic ones. But in ones Haywire, where... he's doing he's doing yeah. he's doing a similar thing to what he's doing in the island yes. in that second role. And yeah. you know what else he's doing in that mode that he's incredible in is Birds of Prey. Uh another like coded gay that he plays coded gay and makes it fun and not offensive in that movie is so much funny. Yeah. But as good as all those are, I gotta go with my heart. And it does mean that three of the four picks are middle-aged human. Oh, okay. But I got to go with my heart. And my heart is his performance as Seymour Swede Lavav in the 2016 film American Pastoral. Damn, man. I don't know about that. I'm fucking with you. I've never seen American Pastoral. I've never seen American Pastoral. I'm fucking with you. Okay. Um, That's good. uh, It's the titular. It's the titular. It's the titular role in Christopher Robin. Oh, okay. Yeah. Have you seen Christopher Robin? I have. Um, it's a film that may came up come up in discussion later as we go to this podcast. I think there's yeah. a an interesting uh, parallel Colin performance. That interesting. Kind of plays into this. Yeah. Um, 
Is it the is it Mr. Banks? Yeah. yeah. So I, I was mentioning it's, this. It's not it's not really the same performance, yeah. but I think it's like that position in a similar type of yes. movie. So yeah. I was saying this. This was I alluded to. Atwell is also in Christopher Robin. She plays his wife in Christopher Robin. Mm-hmm. Atwell is fine in Christopher Robin. But that's the point I want to make is that when Disney makes a movie like Christopher Robin, people show up to work to give functional performances. And Ewan McGregor is like purging everything he's ever gone through on screen as an actor in that movie. Because if Dr. Sleep, I think this is weirdly a, the the in a trilogy with T2 and Dr. Sleep. Because if those are the movies about how do you recover from addiction, this is the PTSD movie. But it's the same thing, that there's just this lingering sense of trauma. And in this case, it's this idea that like the horrors of war have destroyed this man's childhood, right? That he can't even think back to the pleasures. Is that kind of facile as an idea? Yes. Does Ewan like make this man a real person who is talking to cartoon animals? Yes. Like you, you feel every like ache in his bones. You feel every, uh, every like heart breaking moment that he's gone through in his past. He sells it all so well. And the other thing it is, I think this is up there with Hoskins in who framed Roger Rabbit as like, these are the two, truly great acting against nothing performances and yeah, with, I mean, and they're they're different though because with hoskins he had to invent all that shit and with you yeah. and it's like i have been doing this for 20 years and That's I, what I was gonna say it's like did it he he's he's had a lot of practice up but at that point yeah it's so precise and it's so locked in and you believe that there's a talking bear in front of him not because the cgi is good that the cgi is good but because he is selling it the way Hoskins sold it in 1989. Uh, I think that movie is beautiful. Um, Shout out Matthew Lillard and his pioneering work as well. Lillard is, yes, good in that. <laughs> Lillard, I want Lillard to have like Acting another juicy something. supporting role because Lillard is so good in like the, the Descendants. Descendants. Yeah, He's so yeah. good in the Descendants. But this is my point: is like I don't think Atwell's bad in Christopher Robin, but like. Redford and Pete's Dragon, right? Like any of these, I like, mean, she's oh, not, we're just it's, in. The thing with Atwell is like, and we talked about it when we inevitably always bring up the Bond films about yes. how Eva Green is so, I don't even know what you want to call her in the first film, that once you once you hit any of the Craig sequels, it's like you can just not escape the, the fact that Eva Green existed in that Well, except for the, the fact that Gemma Arterton's in one of those movies too. Um, it doesn't, it, it's every film, every film in the Craig series has to deal with the Eva Green yes. character because of it, how good she is. The, 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 the curse of the, yeah. Ava, of the Craig movies is that they want to make him and Sado the great couple and you're yeah. like, this ain't it, guys. You're this like, ain't ah, it. I've already seen it. Um, and then when you and then Captain America like wants that so badly I, to be with the Peggy I, Carter character, and it's I not think actually it, like that. I think it sells it in that movie, but it doesn't sell it in the later movies, like the yeah. Ava Green stuff does. Well, I don't I I think it sells it functionally in the first movie, but it doesn't sell it in a way where when the second movie begins. When the second movie, when I went in to see the second movie, I wasn't necessarily thinking about her in the first movie. And then when they keep referring uh, to her, it's like the movie's trying to tell uh, you that he's I still think, stuck. In that I place. think that's a problem with the sequels because those sequels are so sexless that they're like they can never 
really do you have a proper so. interplay. Yeah. But my 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 point with that one was just like nobody goes to see movies, these like live action Disney movies for the acting. Mm-hmm. He didn't yeah. have to do that, but he did. And that's why he's a special actor because you know he's always gonna like push it a little harder. Except which is, in Cassandra's dream. Except in fucking Cassandra's dream where he's so <laughs> fucking bored. And like I would be too. The island was a few years ago. You feel like your career's probably dead. Like what are it's you also booking? he's the Colin character is the more <laughs> interesting part. Like yes, his, it absolutely his part is. isn't the interesting one as an actor, I th- I don't yes. think. No. Yeah. Except he's the lead. He's the lead, but he's also just he's 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 boring in a way that's not interesting. Yeah. Where where the Terry character again follows down the same exact path that you expect he's gonna go down, but he he does Colin at least is able to to inflect his own his own being into that character there there's from what i understand there's not even an opportunity for ewan to inflect his his own being into the ian character like the ian character is just what he is on the page which is not a real person um can we inaugurate a new feature on this show for the moment by the way sure can we inaugurate (laughs) we need to come up with a name for it i think we need to have a reverse we need to have the grand canyon Oh, not the not the, the four, four best, the one worst. The I one think worst. sometimes we need to acknowledge the Grand Canyon, and I think for Ewan, we need to acknowledge the Grand Canyon. That this is the Grand Canyon. No, this is because this is not the Grand Canyon. Uh, the Grand Canyon is his borderline like war crime Geneva Convention violating performance in Beauty and the Beast. Oh, <laughs> as uh, as Lumiere, as Lumiere, where he is oh, just doing a Jean Dujardin. Yeah impression and so i'm always like but why did you not just hire jean dujardin yeah i mean sure that's fine i i don't know if that can count because it's like it's a new segment it's the grand canyon it's the grand money grab voice but it is but it is but it's so bad it's the new segment we might have to retroactively add some grand canyons for past people what's the call in grand canyon so far so far maybe Worst performance, not worst yeah. movie, but worst performance. I do think it's SWAT. Yeah. Because he's more functional in American Outlaws. You know? I just think of our conversation about SWAT, which but, was like, yeah, if you have a take... All, all, all that's required is one person pointing out a different scene in the same film for your take to fall apart yes. on who that character is supposed to be, there, which there, never happens in American Outlaws because American Outlaws is a nothing movie. About exactly, that. American Outlaws yeah. is such a nothing movie that I can't get mad at, even though that's a worse movie. Yeah, than SWAT. Um, yeah, there's one like the fact that he's sex. Like you could give the take that he's sexless that he might be a virgin and then you could give another yes, take that's like exactly. but this hinge this hinge is reliant on him having slept with enough like yes. uh stewardesses by yes. this point in time yeah um there is a real stinker of a performance coming down the pipe uh though i i don't know if i'm gonna be that mad at it this on the on a rewatch there's a really um, really really great one coming up next like, week in a few weeks well there's a really incredible performance that i know week. you haven't seen uh, um well don't tell me um yeah but yeah i think we're right that swat is 
that'll be that'll be fun like be, be because there's nothing to say about Cassandra's dream. This can kind of just act as like the recap episode for the first third of his career. If we're saying just like, let's just get a heat check. If we're saying SWAT's the worst performance. And I think we both agree Outlaws is the worst movie. Yeah, what do you think far. the best movie and the best performance so far is? Um, Not counting Cassandra's difficult. dream yeah, for either of I those. Think, <laughs> I think that the best movie is i'm just frankly much more moved by the new world than sure. i am by my I, I knew you were so, gonna say it i knew you're gonna say I, it. i'm gonna go with the new world and i am gonna say miami vice and it's not even close well but Mario i think real but i think good. he gives a better performance in miami vice than he does in the new that's world. interesting i but i think the new world performance is great yeah, i just think i think the gives, new world performance is great i think the miami he vice gives he great. gives a performance in miami vice that is like almost uh it's it's like it requires such yeah. deep levels of analysis because he is putting yeah. so much out there. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's he's really yeah. fucking good in my advice. I think my advice the next movie. I, I'm kind of torn in a three way tie between Vice, Phone Booth, uh, because just so much is asked of him in Phone Booth. I and just then think there's so many plot holes in Phone it's, Booth, it's, but I'm it's not. It's, it's not that, that's not the performance. That's not the performance. I know, but I'm just sitting there being like, I don't understand this. Well, at all. you're not. If, yeah. if that's what you think, you're not going to like what I'm about to say. I think for best performance, I'm going to tour between Miami Vice, Phone Booth, and Home at the End of the World. That it. That's a different. I like. Yeah. I I can understand the performance at the Home. Of the that End of the that World. performance it's, is really lingering in my memory. I understand. Movie. I understand the character. I understand yeah. his character in that movie. Yes. I don't understand the yeah. other two characters as much. But uh, for phone booth, for phone booth, I don't understand enough of what's actually happening in the movie that I don't really understand who his character is. And then I did also want to say, I also think the new world's terrific. I said that I we we have forgotten about intermission, but he's so good at intermission. Uh, And then we uh, you can't forget you you forgot about this one. You can't forget the creepy molester dude he played on SNL. (laughs) And Bono. (laughs) <laughs> Why didn't see Bono? Yeah, I know. Um, what was it uh, Steve the Skeeve? Anyway. Yeah, Steve the Skeeve. Thank yeah. you. Do we have anything else to say about Cassandra's Dream? It's just not a very interesting movie. No, like I think we've said all there is yeah. to say. That like it, it, it. Yeah. There are parts of it where you think if the movie fully went in said direction, that it could be a very interesting piece. It could be dare I say, a meditative piece on like our relationship to crime narratives. Sure. Uh, but you got it. You read, you, you love to reach on this podcast. You love to project stuff into a movie. That's just not there. No, I'm saying, yeah. no, that's what I'm saying. I know. Like, I know I'm I know. saying that like, there are moments where yeah. you're like, Oh man, if you just went a hundred percent this way, you would have had a pretty good film. But you know, but instead this... you went instead you went half a percent in this direction, and you end up with nothing. Uh, like I said, this movie comes out in uh, in January of two thousand and eight. Uh, it is actually because it gets pushed and doesn't come out in two thousand seven. It is one of two two thousand eight movies uh, for the Woodman. Um, and <laughs> as I said, I by the way, I didn't say. Are this, you but... are you coining that or is no? That... Uh, people have called him that. Okay. Um, I do think it is worth noting that because Woody Allen is so prolific, if he made movies at the clip 
that other directors did, he really would have like quietly an all bangers filmography because it is like every fourth movie is like the comeback for Woody Allen. So if you cut uh, out the middle, exactly. Three, if you cut yeah. out the middle ones. And my point being that like, we said this movie is like just the failed afterburn of, of match point in 2005. Uh, his next movie wins an Oscar. The one that comes out later this year wins an Oscar. So, like, Woody's about to rebound hard. He makes What's Vicky, that one? Vicky Christina Barcelona. Oh. Which I've never seen, though I probably would. Um, this movie, though... I didn't know that was a Woody Allen film. Yeah. Uh, this movie is just a big old bomb. It opens in... Uh, it opens in uh, January. It makes... This is interesting. This movie makes... $22.5 million worldwide, okay? Yeah. Not great, but, like, for a Woody Allen movie that was probably entirely funded by, like, tax breaks from the British government, um, which is part of why he's shooting these movies in London, by the way, is he's getting, like, really good tax incentives from the Brits. Um, $22 million is not that apocalyptic. You want to hear something insane? This yeah, movie made $22.5 sure. worldwide. Uh, 21 and a half of that was outside the United States. This movie makes under a million dollars just by a hair in the US. Making wait. it, I think, Colin's second worst performing proper film. Wait, after. wait, wait. Re, re, restate that. I feel like that just flashed by me. This movie makes 22 and a half million dollars worldwide. And 21 and a half million of those 22 and a half yeah. are outside the US. So this movie makes under a million dollars in the States. It makes 973 <laughs> in the crazy. States. Um, and yet it comes out. The critics do not like it. Uh, there is an interview with Colin Farrell in the guardian, I believe whose premise is how do you interview? The, sorry. Interview with Ewan whose premise is how do you interview the star of the yeah. worst movie you've ever seen? One, um, of, one of the, rude. frankly, one of the rudest interviews yeah, I've ever read in my entire life. I was reading that because I was interested. And when he gets to the part of the interview where he like confesses to you and then he thinks the movie's terrible. I was like, I have to stop. I'm embarrassed. Dude, I'm he, embarrassed for point, this I don't know if, journalist. I don't know if you stop reading by this point or not, but he asks Ewan about his adoptive daughter. And Ewan oh, says, I did not. Ewan responds, um, you know what? I, I might just find I might just find the the part because it'll blow your mind when I read it to you. Uh, but Ewan's essentially like, I don't want to talk about that with you. I don't want to talk about that with journalists. And the guy is like, what a dick. He won't give me a real answer about it. <laughs> no. Are you kidding me? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But this movie bombs. Um... He says, time to change the subject. I ask about his family. McGregor has been married for 13 years to French production designer Yves uh, Mavrakis, and they have three daughters. In 2006, following the first motorcycle journey, they adopted a four-year-old Mongolian girl named Jemayan. Uh I probably butchered that pronunciation, but... Uh, that must have been a life-changing trip, I say. And then Ewan responds, I won't discuss that with you, so could you ask me another question? And then the interviewer says, why won't he discuss it? And then Ewan says, I've never discussed it with a journalist, and I'm not about to change that. And then the guy says, fair enough, but he could have handled it a little more elegantly. Ugh, it's, after ew. all, He says, after all, it is hardly the most intrusive question in the world. He has agreed to be interviewed, and how hard would it have been to say, yes, she has brought us much joy, but I prefer not to talk about her. As though he's insinuating that, like, Ewan is not happy to be this girl's I father. always love it like... when when famos don't talk about their kids. Yeah. Uh, can I read you uh, a quote 
that is not related to this movie in any way, but is related to what you just said that I think about a lot. Yeah, sure. Uh, a few years before his death, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, was giving an interview. And I guess the subject of the fact that Philip Seymour Hoffman, like, never talked about his relationship with his family in interviews mm. came up. Um, like Cooper was not a public figure. He did not talk about Cooper, he did not talk about his wife, even though his wife worked in the industry, like he just didn't talk about it. This is what he said. Uh, I'd rather not because my family doesn't have any choice. If I talk about them in the press, I'm giving them no choice. So I choose not to, which yeah. is right. Right. Like yeah. Ewan McGregor has chosen to be a public figure. His daughter has not. And it's true. I just it, it goes beyond that because this yeah. guy is insinuating it's that insane. Ewan is like not proud of being this girl's father. Yeah, it's it, like what it, it dick. feels I like something you'd read on like a yeah. shitty web rag and not the fucking Guardian. I know, I know that the yeah. British press works differently than the I American know, press in but terms of still. stuff like that. But anyway, yeah. like I said, this movie comes out, it bombs, it has no cultural footprint. Um, everyone involved is basically about to rebound to a big hit. And uh next week. I know Miami Vice is the big one, I but I think this one's actually the big one. I, a, I I would argue it's a more fun film to watch. It's a more sure. It's yeah. it's a more important movie in the arc of Colin Square. It's it is in fact film to watch. It's the most important movie I think in the arc of Colin Square. That's probably true. Yeah. Um, and it is a small, very low budget, uh, talky crime comedy. From a first-time director, can I give you uh, a transformed Colin Farrell's career? Can I give you the first three of a uh, Wilkinson Mount Rushmore, and you you get the fourth? Oh, you want to do it right now? Yeah. No, I are we going to do them again? I think are we going to see him again? I think we are. Hold on, let me yeah double check that because if we're going to do it, let's just bang it out right now. Um, I don't think I don't I don't know if we're going to do it again. Yeah, I don't think so. Well, not in this crazy series, is there something that we're... when we when I talk you into the Tom Cruise cast. <laughs> uh... So I get the first one this time around. Yeah, let's do it. We're doing it. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Sure. Great. Yeah. Can we speed around this a bit? Yeah, no, yeah. now like, you go. Yeah, he fucking rules in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, bubba da, bubba da, bubba da. Tom Wilkinson is a great actor, but his best performance is in Michael Clayton, and you know it's in Michael oh, Clayton. Yeah. He's so fucking good in Michael Clayton. Uh, hard to play crazy that well. Um, You know what I'm saying? Crazy, but like the way he uh, just still spouts out like uh, legal jargon off the cuff. Uh, you know, he's losing yeah. his mind, but he's able to like outmaneuver uh, 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 Clooney in that one scene. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's so good in Eternal Sunshine. Um, I my hot Eternal Sunshine take is that I like the real world stuff more in that movie. Like, I find all that stuff to be so affecting, and I kind of get a little bored when we're I think I agree with in you. the dream logic stuff. Yeah. Um, you're probably gonna pick Batman Begins, right? So I don't have to pick Batman Begins. <laughs> um, so. It's really good in the exorcism of Emily Rose, but I feel like you'd think that was annoying. Um, I'm DQing him in Selma as much as I think he's good in Selma because I think it's offensive that all three of the lead roles in Selma are played by Brits. Um, yeah, that is wild. It's it's Never weird and I don't like it. Um, get like one drink in me and I will go off on how I think there's like an active conspiracy to keep black American actors from playing like notable black American historical figures because they're all played by British actors. Uh, Chiwetel did it. David Aiello did it. 
uh daniel kaluuya did it um cynthia arrivo did it like anytime they're doing a, a biopic about a notable black american they're getting a brit and i think it's a a conspiracy um so selma's dq'd i want i want to say ghost protocol just because of how hard it is when he says the president has initiated ghost protocol. <laughs> and I think that is handily the best of the like punching above our weight class, like esteemed actor cameos in a mission movie that they love to do. Um, So I'm going to say it's mission impossible ghost protocol. It's it's just so much fun. It's so much fun. What am I? Yeah, no, fuck it. All right. You go- force my hand. I'll go Batman. Begins. Yeah. He's great. at Batman begins. There's the Wilkinson <laughs> yeah. one. I love Wilkinson. Oh, he wasn't on the list. He wasn't on my list of non-Italians playing Italian. Yeah, I remember. I thought you were going to yeah. bring that up, but you didn't. Um, yeah, I missed that yeah, one. He's the best part of that movie that I don't like very much. Um, easily. That's a no, good. That's the best a good part of that movie. Point. The best part of the movie is the the swear to me. That's the yeah. best part of that movie begins. Sure, but Can he's take... the second best. He's probably the second best part. Of Do movie. I actually want it to be in the bedroom? I want it to be in the bedroom. I'm swapping it out. Your your third pick you're swapping out for in the bedroom. No, my second pick. Yeah, yeah. It's not ghost protocol. It's in the bedroom. In the bedroom rules. Uh, I don't have the mental energy to talk about how like nuanced and layered and tragic that performance is, but it's so good. And he should have won. He should have won best. No, well, no, because I said last week that Will Smith should have won that Oscar that year. So Will Smith should have won that Oscar that year, and Wilkinson should have won for Clayton. He's he's a fantastic actor who's almost a little bit too plain looking, and it's hurt his career. I yeah. Think. Because he doesn't have he doesn't have is, the giant heads of yeah. uh, Christopher Plummer or Max von Sydow, yeah. and he doesn't have like just the weariness of Anthony Hopkins. Yes, he's uh, he's just more plain looking, and I think it's hurt his career because of it. But it's funny because his career was built off being that plain looking. Because yeah. his big break is the Full Monty, and he's fucking next level good in the Full Monty. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I love I love him. I'm sorry if we kind of just speed round through that. It makes it sound like we're not. Well, he's not a movie star, so he's great. He's just great. I he's always good. He's he's a real one. They bad. Um, I just got to edit the Miami Vice episode, so I think we got to wrap this sucker up. Yeah. Uh, you got anything Um, else you want to touch on on this movie? No, I found like a wild list, but maybe I'll just. I don't know. Not I. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't think we have time. Uh, yeah, join us next week, though, for fucking in fucking Bruges, uh, <laughs> a movie, full disclosure, I am terrified to rewatch. When was the last time you've seen it? Before Three Billboards, and I am terrified to rewatch it because of the- Same here. McDonough's whole deal. Let's just say because that. Because of the Helter Skelter stuff? Mm, yeah, that and some other stuff, but yes, that is part of it. Um. But we have a good guest. We've a we should have a great guest that week. Um, yeah, Connor, you want to plug the Instagram? It's at above the title pod. Uh, yeah. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend. Uh, shout out to our listener in Singapore for holding it down. You're a real one. <laughs> um, and my brain just shut down. It's got to be a VPN, right? It can't actually be something. I choose to believe <laughs> we have one listener in Singapore. Um, and uh, as always, uh, fuck belabored allusions to the Greek classics. Stop it up like a lice.